I saved that scene where Thor was on the subway, and the girl was just like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna fall into you. Hey, don't deny you'd be doing the same thing. But there was like a hot Australian getting onto the subway. Oh, I would so be like, Oh no, my ankle just came out. You have to like carry me. Oh, thank you, hot Australian. You'd probably do that more with Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, actually, I would do that with a lot of people. My biggest man crush as of right now, and I think it's just because I've been seeing a lot of his stuff, is Sebastian Stan. Yes. Oh my I god, I, I cannot get enough Sebastian Stan right now. It's ridiculous. It's like a drug. Like, I need to be, like, smacking my veins and, like, injecting Stan into them. I think I mentioned it before, but, um, Steve is my fandom bicycle. Really weird, but... No, it's not. I, I am very well aware that Steve is your fandom bicycle. Oh my god, that little girl is blowing bubbles. Let's ship Steve with the bubble. <laughs> hmm. It's a very short relationship. Yeah, it didn't work out. Oh, that's okay. That bubble looks like Iron Man. <laughs> he was probably more into the bubble. <laughs> okay, I need to, like, get these gummy bears away from me or else I'm going to eat the whole bag. There's nothing wrong with that. They're good for the soul. Not good for weight-wise, though. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta make the waistline shut up. <laughs> the soul enjoy it. It's like fried chicken. Fried chicken is healthy. It's good for your soul. It makes you so happy. It makes you more happier to go out there and energize. Energize. <laughs> Exercise. <laughs> energize. You have a point there. Prepare for trouble. Make it double. We're gonna fly over polar bears and <laughs> see them and look at them and be with the polar bears. Yes. <laughs> No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Everyone wants some magical solution for their problem, and everyone refuses to believe in magic. Two True Freaks presents Hope of All Trades, hosted by Hope Molnax, talking like a man and fangirling like a lady since 2010. Friend people, give me a Dalek any day. Welcome to a brand new episode of Hope of All Trades. I'm Hope Molinax, your host. We're part of the Two True Freaks Network, and I'm super excited about this episode. Today we're going to be covering and reviewing the movie Thor 2. I know this seems like it's going to be a little bit late and stuff like that, and like it, Thor's been out for a month now, so why are we doing it now? Well, there's this crazy thing called Thanksgiving, and this crazy thing called Christmas, and this crazy job I work called Retail. And my co-host has this crazy thing called exams. So we just haven't really had a chance to sit down and do this. And speaking of my co-host, I would like to introduce Angel. Hello, I'm back again. Yeah, you might remember Angel from the Iron Man 3 episode. And I can't think of anyone better to help me tackle Thor. <laughs> so, what did you think of it? I actually liked it. I preferred it over Thor, actually. Between, like, the two Thor movies that are out, I preferred this one over the first one. <laughs> but other than that, it was, was it was really... Was reasons why you preferred it over the other one? I think it was just, like, the plot and everything was built up more. Like, the last one seemed a bit rushed, in a way. I think it was, like, the shortest movie in Phase 1. But yeah, it just, the first one felt rushed, but this one felt less 
brush. Like, they actually went and developed things. And then also, it was just, it was a really beautiful movie, like, the scenery. And, like, it was nice to see other places aside from Earth and Asgard. I'm on the fence about whether or not I liked it better than Thor. Um, because there are a lot of things I liked and disliked about this movie. And there's a lot of things about the original Thor that I like and dislike. It's it's definitely my favorite. Thor is, Thor is my favorite Alphys one. So I had really high expectations for this movie. I think that the things that got me were... I love the Warriors 3. They're my favorite characters in Thor comics, period. And mm-hmm. so they just didn't have that kind of same oomph that they had in the last movie. So I, I really found myself missing them, and I'll talk about more in a little bit. But I have to agree. I felt like this was a lot. Being longer, they had more time to develop the characters and like the storyline more. Even though there was still several plot holes, I was just like, what the fuck is happening? Um, <laughs> like, where, where did Odin go? Did he die? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to discuss the plot holes. People think Loki killed Odin. Yeah, we're going to discuss the plot holes a little later, I think. But um, the movie was absolutely beautiful. The plot was a lot more solid. The relationships were were solid in this one, too, compared to some of the last ones. So They actually do build on relationships instead of just saying, oh, yeah, hey, they're brothers, they're romantically together, apparently. Look at Jane and Thor. They suddenly like each other, my gal. They've known each other a day. (laughs) Hey, Romeo and Juliet knew each other for three days, and they got married, like, the day... They were 16. They were dumb. No offense, 16-year-old. But they married the morning after the night they met. So a day is better than hours. <laughs> Definitely my least favorite Shakespeare play. And Definitely the most overused Shakespeare play. It was. It is. We're talking Thor. Looking at your first notes, um, I completely agree. The muse. I, I really enjoyed seeing the other worlds. And I mean, there's nine realms, and we've only seen two so far in Avengers and Thor. But like this one, we see the other, like some of the other realms, even if it's very brief. At least we it's saw, like a... we saw Vanaheim, uh, which is Hogan's. Well, I have a problem with that because technically Hogan doesn't have a world, home world anymore in the comics, and we don't know where he hails from. But we have Vanaheim, the Dark Elf realm, which I'm not even going to pretend to begin to try and pronounce. Jotunheim, Thor, uh, Asgard. So we had like I think five of them in this one, which was like a lot more compared to just like Jotunheim, Asgard, and Midgard. So it's like, can we see the other nine realms that you kind of mention but don't? really talk about and it was really nice how they gave a distinct feel for each and every realm like the dark elves realm was clearly <laughs> i was about to say dark but <laughs> like it had its own kind of like grittier feel you could tell that it, it hasn't been inhabitable forever pretty much right. it's like the beginning of existence it was pretty much destroyed after the whole fight with Thor. i was actually reading about how they filmed some of those scenes they like filmed it in daylight and then just exposed it to like a double negative that's actually kind of cool like, cinematography is actually kind of interesting, so... It's incredibly interesting. Those people are awesome. Let's get into some of the acting. I thought Hemsworth was so much better in this movie. And not to say that he was bad in the first one, but, like, he had, like, leaps and bounds in this one, at, like, making Thor grow as a character. Again, as I said, like, in the first movie, I didn't really get attached to Thor that much. I'm like, you sir are really arrogant and I don't really like you much <laughs> sorry and then he you know he has his moments where he has his quick turnaround and then suddenly he's like and I'm the hero Ooh. this one he did such a good job and he really brought about Thor's character a lot more like especially a more mature side mm-hmm. which seemed to be a little uh absent in the previous movies and like it makes sense because Thor has been through a lot 
I was reading somewhere that when it comes, they were, I think it was an interview with Anthony Hopkins, I believe. They said they were going to also focus on more of his Prince side of things. And he has to start like realizing what it is actually to means to be the future king of Asgard. Which I, right. I, I think they started introducing that really well and him having to make that choice at the end, even though it wasn't really Odin. But still, that, that was a big moment for him. Right, like even at the beginning we kind of see that he has to take care of all of these worlds and make sure that they're at peace. Meanwhile, his heart is really on Midgard with his friends and Jane. No, my only like one criticism of Hemsworth in this movie, um, I was kind of jo- I, I thought I was the only one who thought this, but I, I, my, I was talking with another friend and she thought the exact same thing too, so I was happy I was not alone. <laughs> there was parts it was hard to understand him. And he had kind of like that Christopher Nolan, like, I'm Batman, I'm four, I don't feel pressure, you can't And like, he had he got some of that in this one, I was just like, what, what, what is that? And I'm I'm wondering if that's a nod to the different director, because Kenneth Branagh, uh, who directed the first one, he's a Shakespearean actor, he was, he's, he was very big on making sure that actors was getting the, like, the kind of Shakespearean text and dialect. Uh, Daleks, <laughs> dialect, and like kind of those beats. He was very precise with that in the first movie. So I'm wondering if that's just because of switching the director and he didn't take that extra time to do that. But he had those like little Batman moments where he was just like, Loki, I couldn't have throat cancer. See, I didn't really catch on that. I don't think I was really paying attention to how he sounded, more like of how he was acting. Because there's a couple of times I, I just couldn't understand the line he was saying. I was just like, what did he just say? <laughs> well, when it comes out on DVD, you can rewind and put on subtitles. Yeah, I'll send you the exact line. Be like, it's this one, Angel. It's this one right here. That way you can show me exactly what you mean by he sounded like Batman. Well, you know, there's like all the jokes about the second Batman movie about how Christopher Nolan... Not Christopher Nolan. Who played Batman in the movies? Christian Bale. Christian Bale. I- and yeah. how he was just, like, really throaty, and he was just like, Joker! That I caught, like, I mean, no, well, it's kind of obvious. it was obvious. the entire movie. <laughs> I know, but it's like, why are you doing that to your voice? My favorite was just, like, YouTube version, where it was, like, Joker, and he was just like, why, why do you sound like you have throat cancer? And he's like, I don't have throat cancer! <laughs> <laughs> no offense to teenagers, and no offense to people with throat cancers. We're all on our way to going to hell. Is it going to be like the hell from Christian mythology or like Christian like religious things or like hell as in Thor hell? <laughs> Thor hell just seems kind of I don't know like they just like have feasts like forever but that's pretty much sort of like Christian. Eh, true. No, like... Well, no, I wait. I'm thinking heaven. I'm thinking uh, uh, uh heaven. Sorry. Thor hell. I don't even think they really. They have um the the uh realm that they go to and they're heroes and they like live in the stars and they have peace forever. And then they legit have like hell, which is like you're just like a wandering spirit lost until you like find your way. And it's actually uh ruled by Hela. See now that just makes uh Loki's line "I'll see you in hell" line seem a bit less sensical because Malekith's guard, he's dying in the middle of pretty much what was a battle. Well, Would he still go to hell, or...? I can't remember what the exact realm is, because I'm very... Norse mythology is definitely not my strong point. But I know that Hela is sometimes called Hell, and she's in charge of the kind of wandering spirits bad place. But I know it's not like, you know, sunshines and rainbows in that world... 
until they find their way to the heaven of North mythology. The, yeah, and I think sometimes there's not like even a way to get there. You know, someone someone message me if I'm wrong. Uh, but sometimes I don't really think like you get there. You just wander for eternity, and it's not right. always nice. Okay, I'm looking up Norse mythology now, mm. and there's Niflheim. I probably butchered that name. No, yeah, I think and, you got that one right. Yeah, and then that's hell, and it's usually ice and cold, and it became the abode of hell or Hela, mm-hmm. which is and, Loki's daughter. And, like, you go there if you don't die a heroic or notable death. I guess, then, the guard would go to hell since his death wasn't exactly heroic. That's a character I want to see. I want to see Hela. I always liked Hela in the comics. Maybe they'll do that in the third movie. Loki's her dad? (laughs) Yeah, that I know. And she she doesn't even like him. And he doesn't even really (laughs) like her. (laughs) But they'll work together all the time. Loki has a bunch of kids in mythology. A bajillion kids, man. Um, anything else about Mr. Hemsworth? Not really, because, like, as you said in your second note, Loki is the one who really stole the show. I mean, this should be called Loki, the Lord of One-Liners. <laughs> and, you know, I don't even think it's part of me just being, like, having, like, a preference to Tom Hiddleston, because, yeah, he is one of my favorite actors. I know that MTV voted him uh, one of the best 50 movie characters of 2013. He is a really good character, like... He's sympathetic, but yeah, at the same time, you do realize that, hey, he's kind of a little shit. <laughs> I was seeing a Tumblr post where they were uh, breaking down um, Asgardian ages compared to human ages, and I think, like, the conclusion is he's, like, 17. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> think so I'm the one who, I think I'm the one who sent you that post, but that would kind of make sense. This is, like, his teenage rebellion. Like, what? What do you mean I'm adopted? Well... Screw you, I'm gonna go find my own identity. I'm gonna go take over the world, damn it. Mm. Love me. Though I do have to wonder kind of about how they were writing him, because a lot of people are saying, like, this is the last Loki trilogy being Thor, Avengers, and Thor 2. Yeah. Because if you look at all the promo stuff, like, it wasn't Chris Hemsworth at Comic-Con, it was definitely Tom Hiddleston. Which is kind of weird, but, like, Hemsworth probably also had other things that he had to do at that moment. I think he really put out one other movie this year. Huh. Well, maybe... I I haven't really dove into, like, what other things Chris Hemsworth's done this year, but I do know he recently put out another film a couple months ago. It was, like, some race car movie. Oh, yeah, I remember the previews for that. But, I mean, Loki just... A lot of it's just, like, the subtlety is just... It's it's not even the, his his actual dialogue. It's like eye rolls or just the silent moments where he's just watching. I mean, my my by far favorite Loki moment is how he was trying to keep up appearances in his gel cell, and he looked so nice. And when Thor was just like, "You need to drop the illusions," he is just complete wreck. Like he his feet are bleeding because he's like doesn't care that he's been walking on broken glass and broken furniture and it's just it was such a good moment because he just looks at Thor doesn't say anything just looks at him like yeah this is me this is this is what I've become that that entire scene just between Thor and Loki just their entire interactions in this entire movie was awesome it really did build on that relationship and showed like the change over time like in the beginning, like, when we first meet Thor and Loki, Thor is, you're my brother, and I'm going to bring you back, and everything is going to be the same, pretty much. But now he's realized that they can't go back 
to what they were and he can see Loki sort of for who he really is if that makes sense but Loki was this was just as much his movie as it was Thor's I think a lot of it is Hiddleston's ability to really bring out the sympathetic side of Loki. It's because they took more time to develop it in this time around. Because, you know, Chris Hemsworth and uh, Tom Hiddleston always say that they make each other better. Like, they make each other better actors. They love building on each other. And you don't really get a chance to see that too much in Thor because they spend a lot of the movie apart. But the scenes they are together, you know, like, Loki's trying to stop Thor from starting a war with Jotunheim. Like, he... He even tells the guards and gets them all caught just, you know, to help save Thor. And he, he, I honestly truly believe that he did all that because he didn't think Thor was ready for the throne and he wasn't ready. And I just don't think Loki realized, you know, how far it went. And he, I don't think he ever meant to get his brother banished. Like you see the look on his face, like when Odin banishes Thor, Loki has like a holy shit look on his face. And then in Avengers, like, they're, they're spending the entire movie fighting, so, like, the very few moments they have are few and far in between, but you can tell that Thor still likes Soki. But this is the first time, like, we've seen them constantly together, constantly one-on-one. Con- There's a lot of big moments. My other big favorite Thor-Loki moment is when they're on the, like, little scooter thing, and they're flying through the Dark Elf realm, and they have yeah. a little skirmish, and at the very end, Thor says... I wish I could trust you. And I and that's such an honest line because he so badly wants his brother back. I know, but, like, it's obvious that they do still care for each other in some way. Yes, they may have their problems now, but, like, for years they were raised as brothers and you can't just forget that. Like, no matter how much Loki wants to deny it, like, even when he denied that Frigga was his mother, he... That was, like, another thing. Their relationship even, was so good. I know. Like, even though he wants to deny it, he still kind of feels like he cares about them. I think if Loki was not in that prison cell, Frigga would still be alive. Like, as much as I think he loves Thor, I think Frigga is the one person he would, like, move worlds to save. Seriously, like, a lot of people, they, like, joke on Tumblr that Loki's Loki is such a mama's boy, but it's... It's kind true. of true, because if you notice how both Frigga and Loki fight, they have similar fighting strategies. Like, they both use illusions and knives. Like, their body movements are just very similar. Like, their style is similar. See, what I want to know is if whether or not they're still playing that Frigga is Thor's real mother... Because in the comics, she's his stepmother as well. Like, she's both of their stepmothers. So she really is in a neutral ground between the two. Ah. Uh, but they never really made it clear in the movies whether or not uh-huh. she is his real mother. I would actually really prefer to see that. Then they would truly be equal when it comes to Frigga. Not Odin, but Frigga. Because Odin just doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> right. Half a time, uh, I think Odin's just like, oh my god, I'm getting so old. You guys just do what you want. I don't even care anymore. I'm gonna go take I don't... a nap for like a hundred years. <laughs> Odin was kind of harsh, but I mean... He's the king kind of... of... He's like the king of the Nine Realms. He kind of has right. to be. And it was necessary because, again, Loki's busy throwing his temper tantrum and, like, Odin basically tells him how it is. Like, you are an ungrateful little kid. Like, you could have, like, if it weren't for me, you'd probably be dead. It's kind of true because if Odin hadn't adopted Loki and all that, like, Loki was pretty much abandoned. 
Mm-hmm. His, his original mm-hmm. father, um, Lofi, just like totally left him like on an ice block. It was just like, nope, I'm done. Don't want a kid. I I I do always have to wonder about Odin because I do feel like Loki is somewhat justified. He kind of was set up for failure a little bit. He kind of was because Odin did tell them one of you, like either one of you, will become king, and then it's like, oh nope. Let's push Loki to the side. Thor. Well, the way I see it is like I think I think Loki knew the whole time. You know, only one of them could be king. But I think he, I truly believe he had just of an equal chance as Thor. Like he he had just as much of a chance. And so when he found out that he was from Jotunheim, he was a frost giant. He realized then like I never had a chance. And Odin even tells him like I you know I was planning on using you to as a bridge between us and us and them. And oh yeah, so I could see him being like completely upset and mad. Though I do love that scene where he's just like yelling at Odin, and Odin has the heart attack, and he like he looks <laughs> so scared. He's just like, "Oh my god, I killed Dad!" <laughs> but why are we talking Thor? Let's talk Thor too. Okay, sorry. We <laughs> do kind of need the history because it does come into play between like Thor, like Loki's relationship with all of them in this one. Though I was so sad, there wasn't much call for for Taser tricks because I really do like that ship, which is Darcy and Loki. Again, I don't really have, like, much of a throw-in on that. Like, I think that they would be quite the terrifying duo. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're not, like, my main choice of ships, but I always do, like, taser trips because, like, like, Loki would be like, man, I just feel like destroying something, and and, uh, Darcy's like, here, have my taser, go for it. Okay, (laughs) good job! And Loki would be like, oh, so you tasered Thor twice? Very impressive. (laughs) You have a note here? We see just how dangerous Loki is during the breakout. Loki is the only one left. What did you mean by that? Someone pointed this out on Tumblr. I can't remember who it was. Everyone is breaking out and they're letting all of the prisoners out of the cells. But then one of them goes up to Loki's cell and they just stare at each other for a little while. But he like backs off and Loki just smirks because he knows what's going on in the guy's head. So, and they just leave him there because he's kind of dangerous in the way of you don't know what he's going to do. Yeah, like he could step out, murder them all, and then go. He's very much a wild card. Wasn't the guy who didn't let him out the cursed guy? Like Malakiv's like little side right hand man guy? That that makes sense. He didn't choose to look like, yeah, I always took it as like he recognized this was the Prince of Asgard and was just going to leave him there. But I, I, I missed Loki's little smirk, so maybe he told the guy to back off. I wouldn't have noticed that if someone hadn't pointed it out, but at the same time, like, if he thought, like, recognized him as, like, the Prince of Asgard, like, why would the Prince of Asgard be in a cell unless, you know, there was something up, which obviously there was. And the last point I saw in your notes, yes, the snarking. Loki had great one-liners in this movie. Because this came out after Iron Man 3, I just want to see Tony and Loki have a competition of one-liners. <laughs> Yes, they must. They must get another scene together, like they had in Avengers. That because that is also just such a great scene. It really was. Like they kind of have similar backgrounds, sort of, like in the way of daddy issues. Thank you for clarifying that, because I'm sure uh, Tony sometimes thinks he is an Asgardian prince. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, with his ego, sometimes. Yes, his ego is bigger than Thor's hammer. Loki's snark and Iron Man shield, or Iron Man shield, Captain America shield. And all and... the 11 arrows in Flint's bow. 
All 11. I'm going home. You're welcome. I killed 11. Oh, SNL. You probably, though, want to talk about the Warriors 3 and Sith. Alright, I did want to mention this. Like I said in the opening, I, I really love the Warriors 3 and, and Lady Sith. Like, they are probably my favorite characters out of the Thor comics. I always love seeing them when they pop up in, like, you know, other Avengers shows, like Avengers Assemble, or if they pop up in Earth Mightiest Heroes. Like, I just love seeing them. I mean, they're Thor's right-hand men. They're, they're his best friends. Like, they have been together and seen things, and they've, like, fought side-by-side side and feast and grogged, and I just, I really kind of miss them in this film. I love seeing Volstagg with his children. Because they kind of mm-hmm. didn't have much of that in the first movie. They they had a scene where Volstagg was nice to a little human girl. For but they deleted that. Yeah, and the deleted yeah. scenes, and which I wish they kept in because that's a big part of Volstagg's character is he's a family man. And he has that family that he wants to protect. He has like 12 kids, so, you know. They always yeah. make fun of him that they don't remember all the names of his kids. And even then in the <laughs> comic, they only name like two of them. That's the thing, like, I think that Thor did better than Thor 2, because, I mean, I did kind of like Thor, but I didn't like it as much, but, I mean, they did show more of, like, the Warriors 3 and Lady Sif and the relationship with that. Because it's his friends that get Thor, that help get Thor back to Asgard, and they're the ones that find out, oh, God, Loki's up to something, like, we we have to go find Thor, because this is not good. Thor, we see him, he's resolved to eat, just stay on Earth, eat breakfast with, like, Jane and Darcy, and, like, he's accepted that new life, it's them showing up that said, like, hey, no, you, you need to come back to Asgard, something's going down. You have responsibilities. <laughs> you know, your brother's taken over, and it's not true. Like, Odin never said that you can't come back. I admit, love Sif. Like, she... I, I've, I've always been a Thor-Sif shipper. I love their relationship in the comics. I love their relationship in the movies. I love that they hinted at their relationship in this movie and the possibilities of their being one. I actually was... And the trailers made it look like Jane was gonna die, and I was really rooting for Jan to die because I just could not... I, and I still cannot really see her in the future of these films. Like, I still don't know what role she's going to play. And I don't really see her in any role in the future other than just being Thor's girlfriend who has the probably high ki- like capacity of being kidnapped again. There's, like, the difference between Earth's Mightiest Heroes and, like, these movies. Even though Thor does meet Jane and he's kind of interested at the same time... They have their separate lives and they don't really build on anything like that. It's like, oh, yeah, you helped us a few times. Thanks. You're a great Midgardian. Well, they do go on a date one time and he does stalk her for an episode. She even oh, says, yeah. like, are you stalking me? And Thor, I think Thor's answer was something like, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> I am perhaps stalking you. But at the same time, there's also, like, the thing, like, with Lady Sif. I can see Lady Sif having a constant future in these movies. Like, having, like, we even see with, the, like, the little preview sneak peek of Guardians of the Galaxy. She is the one that goes with Volstagg to take the ether to the Collector. And, you know, I can see her, like, fighting over the Nine Realms. And if it does open up into other realms or other realms come back to Earth, I can see her possibly being there. Jane, I just do not see a plot for her past... Thor 2, so I was really expecting her to die, and I would have been really okay with that. <laughs> I think part of it is the rushedness of their relationship, like from the first film, and then you just go on from there into the second film, where it's like, yeah, you guys only knew each other for, what, three days? 
But meanwhile, like, Thor has grown up with Sif. They've been best friends forever, basically. And you see those hints of that, like, even in Thor 2. Like, they're very subtle, but it's more than what Thor and Jane had. I mean, look at how Sif talks to Thor when they have that one scene one-on-one when she's, like, asking him while he's not joining the party. She doesn't have that edge to her voice. She's much more relaxed. Like, she is perfectly okay opening up to him one-on-one, but if you see how she talks in both movies to anybody else, she has that tough air. You can tell she's on guard, you know. I'm, you know she's had to really fight to get where she is to be that well-respected woman soldier. She had to, like, right. work her ass off to get there. And then Thor respects her, too. Like, he even has that line in the first movie, and she, he was just like, I totally supported you. <laughs> you <laughs> on your own. Good job. God, they're just so good. I, I love Thor and Sif, and I just was really... Hoping Jane would die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, she's not dead. Oh, no. Wait, what are oh, they going to do with her? Like, honestly, I just... What What do you think that she might go in, like, in the future? Like, we have Age of Ultron coming, which Thor is confirmed to be in Avenger 2. Um, we have right. Age of Ultron, and then there's... They've already confirmed that there's probably going to be definitely a Thor th- 3 in the future. Because Jane is an astrophysicist, she might join up for the science part of it i don't know <laughs> with ultron no like not ultron but maybe thor 3 because like in the original avengers they're like oh yeah we kind of sent jane somewhere else and that's like the thing like i think in avengers 2 they might have to send jane off somewhere else or leave her where she is i kind of agree with you i don't know what she'd be doing I, the only place I could see her is that she might join S.H.I.E.L.D. Or, or at least work with S.H.I.E.L.D. Especially when it comes to, like, Ultron stuff. Like, maybe they're like, oh my god, we can't beat Ultron. We might need to send him somewhere else. Like, do you know a way that you can open one of your cool portal things? And if Jane saves the day in Avengers 2 with Ultron, I'm just gonna, like, flip a table. Because <laughs> I just, I've never really liked Jane Foster. I don't even really like her in the comics. Like, I... I'm not a big fan of hers. I, I can see her, like, working with S.H.I.E.L.D. Because, like, they have her information and they do, like, monitor her. So I could see that being a possibility. But other than that, I just do not see her place anywhere else in the Marvel Universe. Like, in future movies. Not only that, but if you think about, like, the relationship in the long run between Thor and Jane. Thor is pretty much immortal. Yeah. Jane isn't. So I can still hold out for Thor and Sif because they'll outlive her. But not only that, but, like, with Sif, she's, like, the first one who's, like, really protective of Thor. Like, she's the first one to tell Loki that if you betray him, I'll kill you. And she gives Jane the best bitch face, like, looks her up and down and just be like, girl, I'm better. And <laughs> she gives like, her that look. And I was just like, girl, you go, Sif. Mm. This is my competition? Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would have thought the exact same thing. And, like, that sucks to say because I'm a huge Natalie Portman fan. I love her to death, but I just have never been able to get into Jane Foster. Right, and then also there was the time, like, right in the beginning of the movie, like, when Thor and Sif, they're, like, fighting together. Mm -hmm. And they have, like, this really great interaction, like, where Sif saves Thor by, like, holding up her shield and the arrow goes through her shield. And then, like, they bring in the golem and she's just like, all yours. I know, they're so cute together, because they also know each other, and that just goes with their history. I just, I I really wanted more Sif in this movie, and I wanted to see more of them, especially, like, oh my god, Hogan? Hogan was completely shanked from the movie. 
he had like that one part, that one teeny tiny part where he's at the world that they're fighting on. I think it's Vanaheim. I'm not positive. I don't have him in front of me. And like, the oh. reason that bothered me so much, too, is because in the original comics, Hogan's homeworld has been destroyed. And they, like, they said that this was his home, and, like, he needed to stay and protect his homeworld. I'm like, he doesn't even have a homeworld! Like, Asgard is his home! Like, he lost it! Like, there's no reason for him to, like, be in this world! Like, why is he not in Asgard? And I can think of that for one of two reasons. Either A... They didn't have a place for him in the movie, which I think is highly possible because they shifted, shrinked a lot of the Warriors 3 stuff. B, right. the other reason I think, the actor that plays Hogan is a really popular Japanese actor. Like, he's really big over there, so he mm-hmm. might have had other conflicts that he could only film those two scenes. If you're really popular and you have other conflicting schedules, you're probably not going to be in a movie as much as Yeah, Josh one. Dallas. Which is another thing that you're moping about. <laughs> I still cry over it. Speaking of Angel, though, okay, I have to give my speech. If you have listened to my podcast before, and you you know that Angel is my favorite comic book character of all times, and I yeah. was really nervous about Zach Levy hmm. taking over the role from Josh Dallas because I I just loved Dallas in the first film. He was perfect as Angel. He had the look, and he had the like the like the ha ha in his voice. That's like. <laughs> <laughs> I just heard Josh Dallas listening to that. I'm just being like, what did she just do with her voice? Adam, if you ever listen to this, do not, don't let Josh hear that part. Anyway, like Adam listens to my podcast. Like he really had like down, uh, the kind of like kind of boyish charm. Cause like while Fangio is very much a ladies man, he has that swagger and that kind of sexuality. He also has that kind of like old, almost Robin Hood-esque like, Oh, well, I am all about nobility. And that's one thing I really like is because the big thing about Fangel is while he is a ladies' man and stuff like that, he also understands and respects women. And he also has that kind of like, he, he doesn't treat them as objects. He has a very, very high amount of respect for them. Whereas, that I saw with uh, when he kissed Darcy's hand. Like, at yeah, the he's, the oh, he's more charming and romantic. That's the word I'm, I'm trying to think of. He's more romantic about it. Yeah. And, and this one with Levy's Fandral, he was much more sexual towards women. Like, he was, like, draping. He was draping on them and, like, holding them close and, like, sitting them in his lap. And, like, I just, I have problems with that characterization of Fandral. But, I mean, I came into this knowing that I wasn't, I was going to be on the fence about it. Because I'm not the biggest Zach Levy fan. He's really hit and miss for me. I either really like his work or I really don't. Like, I love him in Rapunzel, but, of course, it's his voice. <laughs> So that's not saying much, but, and I've liked him in Chuck, and I, I like him in other things, but I, I knew going into this, I'd be on the fence, and I think he did okay. You know, I, I still really, Fandral is still, like, my favorite comic character. I really enjoyed his scenes. Um, I just think that Josh Dallas did better. See, and that's not Fandral, my preference for Once Upon a Time. Fandral is more your baby than mine, so I can't really say a lot about it. Like, I agree with you, Levy did a pretty good job, but um, now that you point that out, Dallas's Sandral was a bit more romantic. But, like, the fighting style, he kind of got down, sort mm-hmm. of. He was really good. Um, Like, he wasn't terrible, like I said. And I, I just did enjoy seeing him. My biggest, like, pet peeve, though, is he got his own movie poster, Josh Dallas didn't. Ah, oh, that's 
flame. Oh my god, and it's a damn good one too. He has like his sword out. He's like blocking about to block a dark elf, and there's like Asgard burning behind him. And I was just like, why didn't Dallas get this? I want a Josh Dallas poster of him as Banjo. I would have cried. <laughs> like I would have <laughs> cried of joy if I ever got that poster. Photoshop. Oh, I might have to, you know. Yeah, I didn't think it was bad, but it just goes back to like I really wish the Warriors three was in this more big. And I, I'll talk about a little bit later, like a really good chance where they could have came back. But I'll get to right. that in a minute. So, Malekith, what'd you think? I could not recognize Christopher Eccleston at oh, first. No. Whoa, what? I had to, like, what? stare at him and, like, close my eyes to hear his voice to, like, believe that it was him. Like, he was, oh, my God. Like, they, the makeup I, did amazing. I think he was in makeup for, like, six hours a day. I have to imagine so, but, like, I had to look very distinctly at, like, certain features, and I'm like, oh, okay, I can kind of see it now. <laughs> but he did a really good job. Wow, that's completely different from the other role that I know you as. <laughs> the doctor? Yes. <laughs> I was like waiting to see that like kind of little doctor grin and like head bobby does. Like I was waiting for it but it never came. Oh, yeah. But I think he did a good job. Like the only thing that and you kind of mentioned this before like also when we were planning this is that we don't really have a motive. Of why he was doing everything? It was just, you're a really great character, but you have a plot hole when it comes to what you're doing. You know, I was reading some interviews with Christopher Eccleston, and he was talking about how Malekith was out for revenge. Asgard killed his, you know, his family and his friends, and I totally get that. And he was, had lost everything. He was all out for revenge. But even then, like, the original war was why? Like, what? The, that was a big question. Like, why did we even have the original war? Did you just want to take over darkness? Does it hurt your people to be in light? Like, what? what is this original war even about? The one between him and Bor, who's Thor's grandfather. In the movie, it kind of seems like the Dark Elves were the one who, ones who instigated everything because they were trying to take over everything with the Aether and like Asgard was just trying to stop them like you know it, it's kind of complicated it hints at something but you don't see it. yeah we don't know what that something is and and I get what Eccleston was saying in another interview or, or in the interview I was just talking about where he was saying like and this this time around he was out for revenge which I can get that because like if he did lose his family and his friends and his entire world, I can get why he's attacking them now and wanting that revenge. But the original reason of everything is I don't know why he was even started this whole thing to begin with. Right, and I even tried to look up his actual character, like from the Marvel comics, and I could find nothing. Like... He's not the biggest guy. I only, I honestly think the reason they brought him into the last part of Earth's Mightiest Heroes, or was he in Avengers Assemble? Which episode was he in? He was in Earth's Mightiest Heroes with the chest, the ice. Yeah. Thing. I only think they brought put him in then because by that time I believe they had already announced Thor two and him as the villain. So I think they were trying to generate that. That would make sense. We don't really know his uh, whole background. Because Eccleston was saying also that they had to cut a lot of the Dark Elves backstories and they cut a lot of those scenes explaining like kind of giving more history to them. And I just always go like why? Why cut these really big important scenes? Like I as much as I like love Darcy and love those kind of extra things I wouldn't mind like to sit there an extra five minutes to have like two three scenes. That's not going to kill me to sit five more minutes. 
probably not that long to say, hey, here's the reason why he's doing all this stuff. I mean, you go to a movie understanding that you're going to be sitting there for an hour and hours. a half plus. I would, like sit, I would sit like Lord of the Rings style movies. Uh, give me like Gone with the Wind movies, man. Like where it's Avengers, but like with the Garden of the Wind, with the Wind story, like timeline where it's six hours long and you have an intermission. I would watch that. I would watch the fuck of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much what Lord of the Rings was. Like, the extended version of Return of the Kings was like, oh my god, like, four and a half hours? Five hours? But that way you kind of get more background and you can understand characters even more so and, like, their relationships and everything. And you can avoid plot holes. And it bothers me when they're, like, you you buy a DVD and they have deleted scenes and then they release, like, like a year later, a year or two later, like, the special Blu-ray with even more deleted scenes. I'm like, god, why didn't you just do that the first time, Around. <laughs> I, I wish, and like even just stuff that was left on the cutting room floor. I'm gonna use a my token show to fall back on. There's a scene in Once Upon a Time that I want to know about so bad. Like I crave to know about the scene, and it's uh, August standing outside of Jefferson's door. Oh my goodness! Why did they cut that? I, I don't, because I have no idea what happened in that scene. All I know is they released a promo pic of August standing outside of Jefferson's door. And it's the only proof that this scene has happened. But it was a, originally a promo pic that never made it into the final show. Uh, yeah, and I, I and it was never in any of the deleted scenes. I've never heard anything about this scene. And it's just like that. Like, if you have promo pics and stuff, that means you had to record something. Like, something mm-hmm. for it. And I was listening to podcasts, um, I think, with... No, I was at Dragon Con, and I was listening to Jane Espenson. And Jane Espenson was saying, you know, with any show or movie, there's always going to be stuff that they won't make it in, and that's going to be left on the cutting room floor. And they always release some of it on DVDs. And in the back of my head, I went, why don't you just release all of it? <laughs> <coughs> kind of like with Avengers on the Marvel thing. They cut out Clint's backstory. Mm-hmm. Which is like, why? Why? Clint only had, like, what, like, 11 minutes of the film? Yeah, if even that. I, I, like, someone actually clocked it, I think. I can't remember if it's, like, 11 or 16, but I, I, it's still a lot. Or a, a very little compared to, like, Robert Downey Jr.'s, like, hour or, like, and a half or something. Captain America got more screen time than uh, Robert Downey Jr., which is really weird. It's not that I mind. <laughs> I know. I was about to say, you miss... I love Chris Evans, hearts, like, dots, like, Lisa Frank stickers. <laughs> love Chris <laughs> Evans. I can't believe I just made a Lisa Frank reference. <laughs> it's just, it's Was, really is that, that Is that even before your time? Do you know what Lisa no, Frank is? I grew up with Lisa Frank. Okay, just making sure. I knew you were younger than me, but I, I wasn't sure if, I was, like, if you'd missed that part. I was a 90s kid. Getting back on topic. I'm sorry, that was way off topic. I just kind of wish they talked more about why the Dark Elves was doing anything. I, I kind of wanted just more with them, too. Like, I would have been happy to lose some of the, the Thor Jane stuff just to get motive with the bad guy. Because that's that's a problem I, I have. If I don't know why a bad guy is doing something, it's just not believable. And it just really, I think, dampens a plot. I think we were kind of spoiled with Loki because we know why exactly. he's doing everything. We're spoiled by him. Like, we're spoiled by Obadiah Same because we know why he kind of ruined Tony's life. See, I, was- I, um, <laughs> I was reading this article about, like, the ten worst Marvel villains, and he was, like, like, number three, and their reasoning was, we don't know why he was doing what he was doing. 
I think it's mostly because what they show with his character, like how he talks and stuff, he sees Tony as like a piggy bank and he just wants control of the company. Yeah, but I mean, is that enough motive to try and kill Tony? Uh, well, I mean, if someone is in your way... Maybe, like, dismember him, but not, like, kill Tony. I just think that he thought that Tony was in the way of what he wanted. But yeah. then we all... So we don't really know why Red Skull did what he wanted to do, but that's a different movie. Well, I think Skull did what he wanted to do because he was a religious zealot and he wanted power, and he knew that this would give him power. Originally, he was working for the Nazis because, like, Hitler wanted all the power, too. But I think Skull, in the end, was like, no, I'm going to be the ruler of the world over Hitler, and, like, I'm going to be the one that's going to take over the world. I know that I can see that motivation more than I can see Stain's motivation. Malekith had more motivation than Stain. Ah, true. Even in the end, like, we were, basically, for all the villains, we were spoiled by Loki, because, Uh, Pretty much every, like, best, like, villain... Like, Marvel villain thing, he is almost always top five to number one. Like, he's always in one of those top five brackets. And a lot of it is just because, like, I, I, I do attribute to his backstory. Like, he has a very solid backstory and very solid motive. And we, and that's, I think, for both comics and for, for both comics and for the movies and TV shows. Like, I, and I think a lot of it also has to do with Tom Hiddleston's portrayal of him. Right. Hiddles is so good at making people like him <laughs> it was so true when someone at comic-con shouted at him like my wife wants to marry you <laughs> like hiddles is the biggest loki fanboy ever he loves loki more than i think anybody else loves loki he loves playing loki and i, I was re- i saw an article with him and he was saying how he was excited to be playing loki as a hero in this one because it's mm-hmm. he's played him twice as a villain and now he gets to play him as a hero He's more of, like, the anti-hero in this movie. Yeah. Are, but... you, are you going against Hiddle's word? <laughs> I'm word sorry. Hiddles. I'm sorry, I'm just going by literature standards. I, I do have to wonder, he, he does always walk a fine line between hero and villain. And I think well, a lot of it depends on what, hmm. what the situation is. Well, if you look at his stats on uh, Marvel Wikia, I know that's probably not a very legitimate source. But, like, his alignment, it says neutral. That And that's going by comics. Yeah, that's going by comics. To make that comics, very clear, that's the comics. That's going by comics, but I think, like, because Marvel Cinematic Universe does take some things from comics. I think also a lot of it is he's just, unlike other villains which are out, like, to rule the world, or, you know, like, Doom, who wants to make, like, perfect societies and stuff like that. Loki, I think he's only strictly out for himself. Usually when he makes alliances, he almost always breaks them. But I also think what makes him neutral is his relationship with Thor. We see it time and time again in the comics that he will fuck everything else up. And he'll mess with Thor, he'll fight Thor, he'll injure Thor. For the moment that someone else is going to kill Thor, he will defend his brother and he will stand by his side. I mean, I, of... I always think of Siege. Like, that's the big one that I, I think of. Because the plotline leaning of the Siege, in case people don't know, is uh, Loki made an alliance with Norman Osborn. And at this time, Asgard was on Earth. It's like in the middle of like Bumblefuck, Oklahoma or something. And the whole time, like Norman Osborn has made the Dark Avengers. This is the Dark Reign storyline that leads up to Siege. And, like, he's, like, been building power, and finally, Loki realizes as Norman Osborn is taking his Avengers to attack, his Dark Avengers to attack Asgard, Loki realizes that he was tricked. Like, he's been completely tricked by Osborn and Doom, like, because, like, Doom was a part of this as well. He, like, starts fighting with Thor, 
and he gives up his life. Like, he, like, makes himself explode, like, in a final act to save Thor. And his last words was, were, brother, I'm sorry, and then he dies. And, like, Thor, oh my god, the panel that Thor has, like, his face is just, like, he has tears, and it's, like, the most, like, emotion-driven thing, and I think that's a big reason why he really went out of his way to find kid Loki and defend him. Speaking of, like, that death scene, because we kind of see that in Thor 2 as well. Like, with the whole fight, and then Loki, he gets killed, quote, quote. Still trying to figure that one out. (laughs) But, like, I mean, that whole thing, like, where Loki is dying, Thor's arms, and just so upsetting, like, Thor's expression and everything like that. And Loki says that he didn't do it for Odin. So it's like, well, either he did it for Thor or he did it for Frigga or maybe both. Yeah, or he did it for his own freedom. That's true, too, but... No, I think he flat out did it for Thor. But I, I think he also knew from the beginning that he was going to fake his death. Because that was really the only way for him to escape jail was to die. I mean, right. like, what was they going to do? Like, when they got back to Asgard, like, say Thor's plan worked and they destroyed the Aether and killed Malekith and the day was saved. Look, he went right back to jail. Right, because, like, this was a one-time thing. Thor might have made the argument to Odin, be like, hey, you know, Loki was a hero and helped me do this. But even then, they were performing treason together. <laughs> so, I, I don't oh, know, wow. like, I, I really, really, I just love their relationship. Oh, Hills. What were you talking about? Um, I think that we were originally talking, oh, talking about, about Malik. Oh, and comparing villains. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking when we were talking about all the different villains, Marvel Universe really has a wide variety of villains. They really do. I mean, just um, look at Red Skull to Doom to Malekith to, like, Loki to, like, like Obadiah Stane and, like, Justin the Hammer. Like, those are, like, six and, very different men. And what about Lizard from The Amazing Spider-Man? Oh, that's true. Yeah, I tend to black out on Spider-Man a lot. I, I like Spidey, and I like seeing him, but his villains are the ones that I just, like, don't recall very often. <laughs> And, like, it's, it's like, weird, because, oh, yeah. like, I, for example, with Doom, I hate the Fantastic Four. I'm, like, I'm not a Fantastic Four fan, and really, at all. But I love Doom. Like, I think Doom's a fantastic villain. Like, he is, like, the saving grace of the Fantastic Four to me. Sorry. Oh, I know God. how much you like. Now, Ben, I love Ben. I do love Ben. I think Ben Grin's a great character. And Johnny is pretty okay. Um, You know, he's not my favorite, but I, I, I do like him. Sue and Reed, I just can't stand. I can't stand Sue and Reed at all. I can sympathize with that because, no, empathize with that because um, I don't really care for Reed or Sue at all. It's like, okay, yeah, you have your romance, bye-bye. <laughs> Reed's kind of like if Tony and Hank had a love child. Because Hank Ugh. Pym already fills like, a lot of the same role that Reed Richardson, Reed Richards mm-hmm. does. And Hank, though I think Hank Pym is a better version of it. Though I, I will also, you know, back this up. Well, I guess it's. It, I'm gonna poke holes in my own argument, saying I have more exposure to Hank Pym than I do Reed Richards. But every time I read Reed Richards, I just really can't stand him. I I can kind of get that. Like, I mean, I don't really like his like because I've only really seen the movies and I've only read like a few comic books. But like, like their characters are just meh. Though I will <laughs> say the only time I really love Sue Storm like flat out, I was like you are fucking amazing, was Civil War. When, like, her entire story arc in Civil War is fantastic. Civil War has really good plot and story arcs, and it's just... <laughs> I, will, I can almost promise you there's... Uh, I know exactly someone who would rebuttal that. 
Um, we have uh, another show in our podcasting group of Two True, Two True Freaks. You should check out all of our shows on Two True Freaks because they're all awesome. <laughs> Yay! And Andrew and Michael talk about kids at different kind of comics and stuff. And when they did their Civil War special, oh my god, they were so brutal up with it. And they made a lot of good points. Like, they made points uh, uh, about why Civil War wasn't working and stuff like that. But I, I think I'm very sympathetic to Civil War because it's one of the first Marvel comics I read. Again, I still have to read, read it. Like, and I mean, I've seen. You need to read it because back when we recorded Iron Man three, you still haven't read it yet. I know. I need to. Like, uh, I just haven't had time. It's it's cool. a long, it's it's an incredibly wordy one too. Like, it's it has moments. Going back to like the original point about this, Marvel does have a nice variety of villains. Hammer is still one of my favorites. <laughs> I love yeah. Justin Hammer. Justin Hammer think... and Loki are like two of my favorite villains. I just. I love Loki for his complexities and his, like, background and I just, how good he is. And then I just flat out like Justin Hammer because he's such a fuckwit and I love him. <laughs> uh, Justin Hammer is, he's just one of those villains where I'm like, you're kind of a bad villain, but I love you anyway. I mean, I, I love the argument that he is the poor man version of Tony Stark, which is so he true. Really is. He would have been Tony in the Avengers, but... He just didn't have the money, the power, and the prestige. Not to mention that some of his tech didn't really work, but that might just be because he doesn't have as much funding as Tony. Yeah, like, his, like Tony's father, like, set him up pretty much with Iron Man. Like, he set him up, like, with the arc reactor designs. He showed him how to make the new element, even from the dead. He showed him how to do it. I don't, I kind of think just, I, I take Justin Hammer now. Granted, the only real exposure I have to Hammer is in the movies, I really don't have much exposure to him in the comics yet because I'm not a big fan of the Iron Man comics. Usually, Justin when Hammer, I, comics, I think I is Justin Hammer in the comics, I think is older. Like he's an older gentleman <laughs> as compared to. You mean to he's not some... Zayfrod Beetlebox? What? He's not Zayfrod Beetlebox? No, he's not. I love Zayfrod. <laughs> Sam Rockwell. I want to talk a little bit about the big fight scene at the end because to me that was probably one of my favorite fight scenes in in Marvel as of yet like from a from the first Iron Man up to now that was a fun romp and I think that that was the point was just like half of it was just so much fun and like the humor they put into the fight like it was so chaotic I really enjoyed this one it was so chaotic but it was amazing and Mjolnir was a lost little puppy (laughs) (laughs) I love the comic of Mjolnir as like a little chibi hammer and he's just flying around going daddy daddy where are you daddy <laughs> well, that's exactly what it was that's exactly what it was because like Thor would go through a portal and apparently Mjolnir can't like he would like completely change direction and like go towards another portal <laughs> Like, the poor baby. But, like, just, like, I, I loved all the balances. Uh, like, and just, like, having, like, the Jotunheim monster, like, pop out and, like, start chasing dark elves. Like, it was really, it was just fun. It was a good fight. Like, at the beginning, I was just like, what is going on? And, like, once I kind of got it, I was just like, oh, this is what they're doing. This is awesome. And I like also, how humans had their own participation in it, too. And then also the fighter jets ending up in Vanaheim, I think. Did they ever get back? Did we see them get back? Yeah, I think they came back. Okay, I can't remember if they did. Because, like, those poor guys are just, like, now stranded in another world. What bloody hell is this? I, uh, see an origin story coming. <laughs> the two fighter pilots come back, and they're just like, Thor, you left us there. Now we're evil. <laughs> oh, God. 
I don't know. I just went. I spent like a day looking up like worst comic book villains and worst comic book heroes, and I found a lot of terrible. Remember Doorman? <laughs> I I keep thinking um oh a uh, phone ranger. Phone ranger is like apparently like the tech guy, like the IT guy now for the Avengers. Oh God. Because he can like do like tap telephones and like do stuff with phone ranger. <laughs> But it was it was just like a super fun fight scene. I I don't know if it was probably the best out of all of them because I do like a lot of the fight scenes in a lot of the movies. But, um, but it was one, definitely up there for me. The intensity was kind of different. It had more of like that just juxtaposition between comedy and seriousness. Yeah. Meanwhile, all the other fight scenes are okay, guys. We have to do this. This is majorly serious. We gotta kick some butt. Except for the Avengers, because you have, like, little bits of humor mixed in with stuff. A little bit, but not as much. So, oh, that's a good, I decided, this felt more slapsticky. It was really, like, relying on the gimmicks of what was happening to, like, really push it through. I, I always think of that one scene in the Avengers. It, I think it's, like, Tony flying and it shifts to, like, Hulk and Thor on the monster. and Or it starts off with, like, Hawkeye. That, uh, it goes, like, Nat to Hawkeye. Down to, uh, Tony flies down to Cap. They have that laser beam, he flies back up, and then he goes to the Hulk. Like, that is a very nice, seamless transaction. And, like, it is. And, like, even, oh, I was reading, our, like, article, uh, an article about how the writer of this film, like, the screenwriter, would call Joss Whedon and be like, Joss, I'm having, like, the biggest trouble with writing this scene. I just, it's not working for me. And Joss would, like, fly to London, stay, like, five hours, write three or four scenes, and then, like, leave. And, like, he, so he wrote, like, parts of this movie. So this I can is why see... Joss Whedon is amazing. <laughs> My boss said the other day if he was Joss Whedon, he would just hug himself all the time. I saw your tweet about that, yeah. <laughs> I, like, died laughing, but I would, too, if I was Joss Whedon. I would just hug myself. But, I mean, it's it's true. I, I think, I wonder if that a lot of that is just, like, writing style. Because Joss in the Avengers had a very solid fight scene. Granted, it's, like, a third of the movie. <laughs> Right. So they have way more time to develop, like, the little nuances of the fight scene. But yeah, it was a good fight scene. I'd say better than Iron Man 3, maybe. I'm trying to remember Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3, um, basically, it was all of the suits and... Oh, yeah. I remember that. Like, it was an interesting fight scene, but at the same time... Pepper stole the final blow, so. Yeah, my mine probably least favorite fight scene. And this is out of all the out of all the Marvel movies, minus the Hulk, because Hulk is the only one I still haven't seen yet, so I, I've seen all the other ones. I still say that Iron Man 2 is my least favorite fight scene. Iron Man 2 is meh. I, it's sort of like a video game. Like you have all like the mini bosses and like those were all, you know, the robots and stuff like that that Tony was fighting. That stuff was right. good. But when you got to Whiplash and that final thing they literally took him out in, like, two minutes. Which is kind of lame if he's, like, the big boss. Yeah, it, it felt like the final boss of a video game, and they, like, killed him in, like, legit, like, two minutes. Like, the fight scene with all the robots was longer, and I feel like they could have taken some of that and put it into the final fight, because that final fight with Whiplash was dumb. Like, I mean, if you've ever played a video game, you fight the boss, like, the big boss, no less than probably five or six times, depending on the game. Yeah, and even then, like, it's very rare that it takes more or less than, like, I would say at least ten minutes to beat a final boss. Like, it takes time to beat the final boss. 
Right. But, but we're not talking about that. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about video games. I wanted to make a note about uh, Frigga, because Frigga seriously could have killed Malekith on her own. Like, she had him knife to throat, against the wall, ready to take off his head, and if it was not for his guard, she probably would have killed Malekith right there. <laughs> I know! Like it, Frigga, Frigga is amazing. She's so good! Like, oh my god. And I just love some of her lines with Odin. Like, Odin said something, and she's like, that's because I'm your wife. Like, you have me. That's why. And he was just like, yes, dear. And not only that, but she kind of acts as a balance and, like, everything for the whole family. Because Odin, he's kind of dealing with his sons being teenagers. <laughs> Loki and Thor are fighting. So she's kind of like the glue that's barely holding them together. That's a really good point. Like, I would love to see... I wasn't expecting them to kill Frigga. I, I would have put money on Jane dying, but I never saw Frigga die. Like, in a, I, I thought that she would have been injured. Like, when I saw her get stabbed, I was like, oh, they're gonna... You know, she's injured. I was not expecting her to flat out die. I know. I'm like... <gasps> I, I gasped. Like, I physically gasped and, like, covered my mouth. And I, I think a lot of it is I also just really like her character. Um, this is gonna sound nerdy, but with, uh, another friend of mine, like, we, we roleplay Avengers 2 and, like, Loki and stuff like that, and we have a really good character development for Frigga. So I have a very, like, close attachment to her character but even then just like even in the comics and in the movies she's always been what a highlight for me and i've always liked her and i thought i think she practiced because like in the first one she like she she killed like a frost giant but the other one got by her but she flat out took out malekith in this one so i think she's been practicing someone had to teach loki how to fight because i don't think odin was going to teach him i i, I actually I, I will rebuttal that i i think you know as kids and like teaching them and all that I think Odin treated them very similarly, but I don't well, think he ever intended him. I think when it comes to, like, magics and tricks and, like, small weapon fighting, I do think that might have been Frigga. Yeah, Frigga's death, like, really hit me. I almost cried. Oh, I did cry. Like, I was sobbing. And what did not help was... Two scenes did not help. It was the morning scene, where they're, like, sending off everyone in the boats and... That was such a beautiful burial scene. I was all I was also surprised how close they stayed to Norse mythology on that one. Because mm-hmm. that was a very Viking death. That was that was, was exactly how they do their funerals. They they send out the boats with the bodies on it with their most prized possessions and then they set it on fire. Like that was right. very Viking. And yeah. so I was really happy to see them keep that, something like that in it. But it was, it was a gorgeous scene. I think I wrote this in my notes. Like, to me, that was a more beautiful scene than in, say, for instance, the morning scene in Harry Potter 6 after Dumbledore died. And they have all the wands. God, that was the other scene I bawled like a baby. I cried in that one, too. I'm a crier in movies. But, like, cinema-wise and, like, concept art-wise, it was more beautiful than the Dumbledore scene. And I I just loved a lot just, like, seeing Asgard. um, I, like... Just kind of looking at the scenery for that scene. Asgard was gorgeous. Uh, and that, like, mm-hmm. that kind of night lighting. I have always liked the sky of Asgard kind of being like a sh- constantly shifting galaxy. And so seeing right. Frigga go up and becoming the stars. Like that, uh, that entire thing was gorgeous. And then the other thing that got to me were the scenes where Loki finds out. Oh, and there's no dialogue in that scene. And that goes back to, like, me, like, like talking about, like, Hiddle's, like, subtle acting. And, well, he wasn't really subtle in this scene. <laughs> and what hurts 
even more is that the last thing that Loki said to Frigga is that she wasn't his mother. I know. <laughs> Why are you reminding me of these things? Sorry, it's a podcast and we're analyzing this. We have no, to. No, but it still hurts. I know it does. It hurts but, so um, good. But, like, the thing is, is I think Frigga knew that, you know, Loki still thought of her as a mother. Yeah, you know, she she's a mommy. You know, teenagers. Yeah. Like, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I told, like, my parents I hated them. And I was just like, God, I hate you so much. You're the worst. Ugh. Her death, like, it did kind of act as even more so as a glue to get Thor and Loki to work together. Because Loki, he does tell Thor, trust my anger. Because that was Thor's motive to get Loki to do it. Like, he promised he would get revenge. Like, like Loki would be the one that he would get to kill Malekith. Loki was, I think, more attached to Frigga than the two, like, of the two boys. He was probably more attached than... Yeah, like, well, you know, Thor is more of a daddy's boy. I would have wondered if, because as much as I love Frigga, I didn't want her to die. Um, mm-hmm. If she would had just been injured, if it would have the same mm, to get Loki and Thor going, because I think Loki would still go and be like, they hurt my mother. It's possible, but it's kind of like the Coulson death in um, Avengers. Like, I don't think it would have been as effective if Coulson had just been injured. So, but kind of going back to that, like, you need something to hold them together. I cannot wait for them to find out that Coulson is alive. I know. Oh my oh gosh. Oh my god. I was... Every movie, I am waiting for that. Like, I was waiting for an Iron Man. I'm waiting for it in this one. I'm going to be waiting for it again in Winter Soldier. I think I think it has a better chance of being in Winter Soldier because Coulson's relationship with Steve and it's also more S.H.I.E.L.D.-based while the other, while Iron Man 3 and this one have, like, pretty much nothing about S.H.I.E.L.D. in it. Yeah, I think I've mentioned in one of my live blogs that I just want Coulson to get his cards back signed. I, I want him to get his cards back and be like, Director Fury, what is this on? Did, I, did you rub this on my chest? <laughs> you ruined my first editions. They're mint condition. That is one storyline I'm just waiting for is actually two when it comes to Coulson. And one's with, a, with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm waiting to see what, what happened to him in Tahiti. It's a magical play. But why? <laughs> I think they flat out brainwashed him. Possibly. Um, and number two, I'm waiting for the Avengers to find out he's alive. Like, those are two right. scenes I am just yearning for when it comes to Coulson. I think everyone is. But again, Coulson is just one of those, like, characters where everyone refused to say that he died. And then he came back and it was just amazing. So, moving on. Yes. I think we can kind of mention this a little bit, but uh, we, we thought that Jane and Thor had much better chemistry. Um, did you, I, I just at this point in our notes, did you want to touch on that anymore, or do you think we're good? I think we're pretty good, as we pretty much said. This oh, was the only less... thing we haven't talked about is the after credit scene with Thor coming back to Earth to reunite, reunite with Jane. Oh, I, yeah. Um, I didn't really care, but I also am just not a Jane fan. My friend, he didn't really like it much. He's like, that was a lame end credit Oh, I do want to talk about that, though, because we mentioned this in our Iron Man review, and we were wondering if this would be a trend going into Thor, and it is. In in Phase 1, all the after-credit scenes, like, not the mid-one, like, the mid-credit scenes, the actually after, at the end of the credit scenes, was always a teaser for a future movie. Like, they're tying it together. 
Yeah. They're not doing that phase two, because at the end of Iron Man 3, we see Bruce and Steve. And I guess that kind of is, because it shows that they're still friends, but it has no real teasers for the next movie. And then mm-hmm. at the end of this one, it was the little monster from Jotunheim running around, still running amok. Like, I really missed that format from phase one, where it was always a teaser for the next movie. Like, I was really hoping that Iron Man 3 was just, like, a one-time thing with it doing the science bros, and I was really hoping we would hear see a sneak peek of... Captain America, like something where it's like the Red Room is like awakening Bucky. Like, oh my god, oh, I just got chills thinking about it. <laughs> I just spilled coffee on me thinking about it. But I think Thor 2 did kind of do that because we had two credit scenes. Well, I mean, they, um, so did Avengers. I, so did all of them, sort of, kind of, pretty much. Did they do but, two credit scenes, like a mid-credit and an after-credit scene thing in Phase 1? I don't remember. I think it was just for Phase 1. It was just the after-credit scene. Yeah. Now, starting with the Avengers, that's when they did the mid-credit and the after-credit. Right, because they had the Thanos one, and then they had Shmorma. And then for Iron Man... They had science bros, but what was the mid-credit scene? I don't remember it. I don't think there was a mid-credit scene. I don't remember seeing one. I have to open up my Iron Man 3 DVD and watch it now. No, I'm just going to look it up on Wikipedia. (laughs) But, I mean, I really do miss that format of them doing sneak peeks for the next movie. Like, that was just something I always kind of looked forward to, and I think it kind of helps build the the momentum going into the next film. Or at least tying it together because the after credit scene in The Hulk, you haven't seen it, but um, the after credit scene in that one is Tony walks into the bar that Thunderbolt Ross is in. He basically is doing his consultant thing of like, oh yeah, by the way, we're kind of doing this thing. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard about that um, after scene. I just haven't seen it. They also mention it in the consultant, which is like the mini uh, episode thing like special episodes that's kind of like agent carter but it's just sit well and um colson talking i need to um catch up with those i'm i never saw like the i think it was like the 32 or 42 the number one i never saw i just recently saw that so yeah i I just wish they would go back to that format i was hoping that we would get to see bucky awakening for from the red room like that was the one i was waiting to see (laughs) (laughs) my first credit sequence but and, like, wow, it was cute, the little Yoden monsters, like, running around London, because I'm, I'm sure the residents of London thinks that's adorable, says sarcasm <laughs> in my voice. I, I was really, really hoping for that, but I also just really love Sebastian Stan, so. The other after credit scene, like, the mid credit scene, I think it was, it kind of makes sense that they did Guardians of the Galaxy, because they can tie that in more. Like, you know, they have the Infinity Gems and everything, and... Infinity Gems are the biggest thing with Guardians of the Galaxy. I flat out love that mid-credit scene, and I'm we're we're skipping ahead a little bit, but I would since we're already here, I'm gonna go ahead and talk about it now. Right? Is the ether an Infinity Stone in a way? Like I I don't I'm not very up to date on on Infinity Infinity Gauntlet and the Infinity Stones. Like that is something I'm not like. I don't have a big fortan or guardians of the galaxy for that matter. Like I really still know nothing about. Okay. So I just rewatched the mid credit scene, like before we did this, because I just wanted to see it. But, um, and there was also something that I needed to talk about that with, but I think that they did turn the aether or it was already into an infinity stone because remember, um, Marvel cinematic universe, 
takes things that we know in the comics and kind of changes them, like Tony and the Ten Rings or the Mandarin. They changed that. It would make sense that they also changed other things, like the Infinity Gems. And they mention that, so I am thinking that the Aether is the Infinity Gem, and since it's, I'm going by color here, so it's probably power. I'm thinking that they're making the Tesseract another one because they say, they say, uh, Sifin Bolsag comment that the Tesseract already in Asgard, having two Infinity Stones so close together would be dangerous. So I think they're making the Tesseract a second one. That's what I was going to mention. And so basically the Tesseract is a cross between the Cosmic Cube and an Infinity Stone. And if we're going by color, it might be the Mind one because, well, the Tesseract opens your mind to the truth or whatever, as we saw in Avengers. But, you know, that might just be superficial explanation. It makes me wonder, then, where are the other ones, then? Can we go off them based on anything else we might have seen so far up to this point? All we've really seen is the Tesseract and now the Aether. So they might introduce them in Guardians of the Galaxy. That That's the only one that I can see, like, this, like, Thanos coming in and legit being a problem. Because, like, if Thanos wasn't going to be the big bad in Avengers 2, like, I, I would have said, like, I was thinking he would probably would until they announce Ultron. Now with the announcement of Ultron, he's definitely going to probably be in Guardians of the Galaxy. See, my friend thought that he would be the big bad in number three, but then I'm like, ah, but someone was talking Civil War. <laughs> I would actually would still love a Civil War. I, but, um, I would love that. So I'm looking at the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy thing on Wiki, and it looks like the adopted daughter daughter of Thanos is in there, but that's because she's one of the heroes. Uh, Ronan the Accuser shows up, and he's like Thanos's admiral. So it kind of seems like Thanos is the big bad. I could see them wanting to keep it a little under, you know, keeping it secret. He has his admiral, and he has like employees in there like the characters are in there so it would make sense yeah i'm looking at these infinity gems and i'm just trying to figure out where the the other four might come from i'm not getting anything the only other thing i can think of that this could possibly be is we're not going to see thanos in guardians of the galaxy we're not going to see thanos in avengers 2 and going into phase 3 we'll see him in possibly avengers 3 and they'll introduce the other four gems over the course of the rest of phase two and phase three because i could see ultron having the reality gem or the power gem or i know i take it back the mind gem or the reality gem which is orange and red so it's complicated marvel (sighs) yeah they're gonna do what they're gonna do they're not gonna follow the uh the the things um going back to get back on q you want to talk about the best cameo in marvel movie history thus far Yes. Okay. So you know me with cameos. I love them. First, we have to, of course, talk about the Stanley cameo where he shows up in um, the home or wherever that they're keeping Selvig for Selvig. But that was a pretty good cameo because he's, again, like, okay, I don't care. Can I have my shoe back, please? That was just a great scene in general. Just have, like, like Selvig was fantastic this entire movie. 
And I, I, I actually think... just really enjoyed everyone's reactions to Selvig. Like, Thor didn't care that Selvig was standing there in his, like, you know, his underwear and yeah. was hugging him. He was just like, okay, hugs. Like, no one really cared. <laughs> it wasn't like that he had gone batshit crazy. See, I think things on Asgard are different than things on Earth. Like, social stuff. Well, no, I mean, also all the other characters, like, you know, at the beginning, Darcy and Jane and Ian were all just like, okay, you're not wearing pants. <laughs> but, like, after a while, like, they, like, just did not care that he didn't have pants on in the living room. Like, they just... See, I think they just got, uh, habituated to it. I but... can see Darcy being like, I don't care as long as I don't see man bits. See, I'm just wondering if Clint's going to be that affected. Yeah, I saw you know that. That's a really interesting point because Loki was definitely inside Clint's head, and I would love to see that with his character. Like, is it a duration thing because Selvig was under Loki's control a bit more, but at the same time, yes. Anyway, the best cameo in Marvel movie history thus far. So, <laughs> I was not. I can hear that. you blushing. <laughs> Like, I hear it, like, in your voice. You are blushing. I'm just really happy, like, this scene is one of... Like, it made my day when I saw... I will honestly say it was the best Marvel cameo as of yet. Because it was also the least, like, expected one. I had no idea it was coming. Basically, it was a funny scene at first because, like, Loki, he's doing his illusions. And it's like, oh, well, that is a better, um, better accompaniment. And then... He turns Thor into Sith, which was even funnier. And then all of a sudden, Loki's like, huh, maybe it would be better if I turned into one of your new companions. And I'm like, what are you going to do, Loki? And then of all the people he chooses is Steve Rogers, who A, is my favorite character, and B, huge celebrity crush on Chris Evans. So it just made my day and how Loki acted as Steve was just it was so funny because even though he was making fun of Steve at the same time that's pretty much Steve's character it's patriotism and fun and like look at the tight suit and good morals let's have a rousing talk about morals there's actually a gift set on there where it's like it's a little much though but a little tight but the confidence <laughs> <laughs> I have to give props to Chris Evans for playing Loki, playing Steve. I love it when characters, like actors, do stuff like that. Like where they have to act as another character, acting acting as another character. Seriously, after that scene, I could not stop smiling afterwards. I, until Loki. <laughs> yeah, I'm like three hours ahead of you because if you guys don't know, I live on the East Coast. She lives on the West Coast. And so when I saw that scene, my very first like thing I thought of was, oh, God, Angel's going to die. Because <laughs> I know how much of a, like, a Chris Evans fangirl you are. And like the moment I came on, that, that was my very first thought. I was just like, oh, Angel's going to die. <laughs> See, the thing is, is I went with my friend, but I also had a test earlier that day. So I'm like, okay, this is good. I get to see Thor 2. This is going to be a good day. And then Chris Evans shows up in the movie, and then it just ended up as a great day. Definitely not the greatest day of your life, but I really no, hope that's not the greatest day of your life. <laughs> no, it's not. But it was a great day, anyway. Because, well, it was just funny also. Because I'm like, of all the people Loki could choose, he chose Steve. But like with Chris Evans, he had talked about wanting to do a cameo in Thor 2. And I'm like, well, looks like you got your cameo, 
No, I remember seeing that article and I was just like, how would they fit Captain America into Thor 2? I was just like, is he gonna show up like in London? Like, I could see that, but I wasn't, I was not expecting a cameo like that, and that was fantastic. Which is why, again, call it the best. Not just because of my bias for the actor or the character, but as you said, it was so unexpected. Like, we always expect Stan Lee to show up in Marvel movies now, but this was not like what anyone thought would happen. I would say probably the only other cameo that was probably better than that one. And granted, I'm saying this going off the fact that I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> but I think Robert Downey Jr. showing up at the end of, Incre- of, of Incredible Hulk would probably be the arrival to it. I think only because it, since it was the second one in the franchise of this like incredible Marvel movie franchise, I could see a lot of people not ex- knowing whether or not Marvel would continue and knowing uh-huh. whether or not that all these movies were connected. And I think him showing up at the end of the Hulk solidifies that this was all in the same universe and it was all connected and that you should pay attention to all of them. See, actually seeing the movie, though I saw it after Avengers, even after seeing everything and going back and watching the Hulk, I was so happy to see Robert Downey Jr. at the end because I also really like Robert Downey Jr. as an actor. What if Loki had been Tony? I don't know because Tony and Loki in a way are very kind of similar in character, so it would have made more sense. I just see him popping out with like a shot glass in one hand and just having like the (laughs) Iron Man arm on the other and just being like, I feel so wiggly and swaggery, pew 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 pew. (laughs) that would have been fantastic I think what was what made this cameo funny is because that it's Loki playing the most moral good guy ever I know so it is really funny and it doesn't help that in interviews for Avengers that Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans most of the interviews that they did were together I don't know what point you're trying to make right there I'm used to seeing Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans together interacting. Oh, okay. Like, outside of movies, like, even if it's interviews, so, I don't know. Like, maybe they planned this. They schemed. Yes, they schemed. <laughs> so, uh, again, I'm Omelio and jump to the next point. You want to talk about some of the minor characters? Like, we talked a little bit about Solveig. Did you want to talk about uh, Darcy or Heimdall? You mentioned both of them in your notes. I might need a little help with this. All you said, there's quite a lot of humor in this movie between the snarking with Loki and Thor, poor Selvig, I wonder if Clint is going to be badly affected, and Darcy, which I don't know after a while, it's like, okay, can we, I don't know, do something serious for a second? Should we also talk briefly about Heimdall, though I don't remember much, I mean... Yeah, I know. I have the notes open right here. The thing is, is I don't mind humor. Humor is great, it acts as a great juxtaposition, but I'll... Darcy really was was comedic relief, and she after, did a little bit more. This movie, oh, I know what you mean, but at the same time, it's like okay, funny. Can we get to something a bit more serious? Like we have a lot of one-liners already. You know, that was a criticism of mine of Iron Man three. Yeah, I remember that. Um, as much as I do like the one-liners and snark. I feel like it took away a lot from some of the scenes. I didn't feel it as much of this one as I felt in Iron Man 3, and I think a lot of that is because I expect that to be Darcy's character, so I I didn't get that, but I I can see what you're saying with her. I mean, I didn't mind it at all, and it was really funny when I watched it, but at the same time, I guess it was also because of the trailers. This seemed to be like a really dark, intense movie. (laughs) This was not a very dark, intense movie. No, 
It wasn't. Um, the same thing with Iron Man. Iron Man 3 was like, it's Tony Stark's greatest adventure, and he's going to probably lose everything. And then it was like, Tony going, snark, snark, snarky, snark, and I'm now, now I'm flying around. <laughs> As I said, I don't mind humor. Humor is really great in any kind of movie, but if you do it too much, it kind of gets annoying after a while. All I wanted to see, when I saw that Darcy was going to be playing a bigger role in this movie... Uh-huh. I, I liked her, the, her initial opening scene where she crashes Jane's date. That's a great scene. That's a very Darcy scene. It is. It really is. And I like the fact that she is interested in, in, in the science, like, even if she doesn't get it. She's interested in it. I think a lot of that is because Jane is like a sister to her. I, I think her and Jane are very close. That being said, I would have liked to see her experience Band more like even like her relationship with the intern Ian was like out of left field for me. I know, like all of a sudden they're like kissing, and it's like, where'd that come from? See, that scene is Thor and Jane in the first movie. It's like, okay, they're together now. Granted, I also am like highly shippable with Darcy Fandral or Taser Tricks, which is Darcy Loki, but. But, I mean, even, but, like, you know, there wasn't, there was, like, a little bit of build-up. I, I think she was always constantly flirting with the guy, but I don't, I think the guy was, like, seriously into the science and not into the girl. And so that, when they were making out, I was just like, whoa, they're kissing. Didn't he, like, save her? Like, he, like, used the science to, like, lift a car or, like, block something? I don't remember. If, if I remember correctly, he did something to, like, move a car with, like, the weird warp science and save Darcy and I think it was one oh, of those, yeah. like, my hero kind of kisses. Yeah, I remember that. And I would have made out with a guy if it's pretty much the end of the world. That was, like, the only problem that I really kind of had with the humor, pretty much. Like, the snarking, you kind of expect that between Loki and Thor, because, again, they're brothers, and Loki like, is going to be, like... Siblings oh. give each other shit. Loki is very snarky and sarcastic. You kind of expect that. But it wasn't as much. I, I still don't think it was as bad as it was in Iron Man 3. Like, to me, the humor in Iron Man 3 took away from a lot of the deepening, like, deeply serious moments and, like, just blew them off. And, like, I was waiting for Tony to have that closure or those moments or just, like, waiting to even just a few of them. Like, he didn't need to have them. Like I said, he didn't in the, the podcast episode. Like, he didn't need to have them every time, but he needed to have at least one. And that I can kind of agree with. Like, I mean, if you're going to set up a movie to be more dark and intense, you kind of need to do that. What do you want to say about Heimdall? All I know is that Heimdall is kind of awesome and that... In the comics, he's Sif's brother. Oh, really? Yep. And that uh, Idris Elba, he has a huge fan base. He's hot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even going to be, like, flat out subtle about that. I really enjoy him because he's hot. I'm not even going to be, I'm just going to be a fangirl. Damn it, now I want to go back and watch Losers. Oh, I was about to say, like, between the uh, this podcast and the Iron Man one, I've seen Losers, and he's fantastic as Groke. Yes, he is. But anyway, this movie kind of just proves, like, very briefly that Heimdall isn't actually all-seeing. Well, I think we've seen Heimdall commit more acts of treason than, like, anybody else. Because he doesn't in the first movie. Even though, technically, he I don't think he truly answers to Loki as king. But he has, to, Loki, he has to answer to Loki as king, so he flat out goes against him. And in this one, he helps Thor. Like, Heimdall is just like, I'm going to be the protector of Asgard 
when it's okay. And I actually kind of like that, like speaking in like, you know, D&D terms, where Odin might be like, like that kind of central good, what's it called? A neutral good, where it's, you know, yeah. looking out for the benefit of everyone. And even if sometimes things go bad, he has to let them because it's the good of all. I think Heimdall is justly good. And he does good things for because he knows it's what's right. Right, like he's more of like the moral kind of thing, like where he has like the highest sense of morals where he'll do something wrong as long as it's like morally good, if that makes sense. Even though it might be wrong in most cases, the reasoning behind it, like the morality behind it is justified. Yeah. And then also Heimdall just, talking to Thor about what are you going to do about this. I don't remember the whole talk because it's been a month now. What about that talk? Just that it kind of shows that even Thor, he, um, I don't really know what I'm saying because I forgot everything. Oh, he kind of (sighs) has a lot of trust and faith in Heimdall as well. Right, yeah. Look at me, I totally know what you're thinking. And how important uh, Heimdall is actually to Thor. Oh, I think he's very important to Thor. Imagine, we, we see at the end of Thor, him going to Heimdall and asking what Jane was doing. Imagine, like, this is supposed to be, like, a two-year period. How many times Thor has probably gone to Heimdall and asked about Jane? And has probably shared, like, that really, I don't want to say intimate, but, but yeah, like, very intimate, private conversations with Heimdall when it comes to Jane. Like, there, I can see them being incredibly close, closer than they were before. And I think he also has a ton of respect for Heimdall. Because I think in, like, the power spectrum of Asgard, Heimdall is top tier, just below, like, above Thor and Loki and, like, below Odin. Like, he's one of the most, like, more powerful Asgardians, if I remember correctly. Well, I mean, if you get to see all the nine realms, you probably know what's going on. And he's the very first guard of Asgard. Like, he's, like, the first event, so he has to be strong. I mean, sis brother, I mean, I can see the two of them just, like, being the shit out of each other as kids. (laughs) Damn it, Heimdall! Stop pulling my hair! Ah, Shut up, Sif! I see everything! I would love to see them as kids! (laughs) <laughs> Someone make a comic about that. Someone make it for me and then send it to me. I want to see Heimdall and Sif as kids. <laughs> I have to give props though. Avengers Assemble and this very last episode that you haven't seen yet, Heimdall uh-huh. is based on uh, Idris Elba's design. Woo! Yeah, it's, I was surprised I because I've yet to see one based off his design. And it was nice to finally see it. I was just like... What? Look at that! Like, I had a moment of celebration. I was really excited. The last big thing, looking at the rest of this, I have one more point about the movie, and then we're gonna talk into a little, a couple side topics. How did Loki survive, and where was Odin in all this time? Because Loki surviving, I can kind of see, probably played a trick and stuff, but Odin not being there when Loki was being him on the throne, that is a major plot hole for me. I know, seriously, me and my friend, we were talking about this, and we're like, yeah, Odin fell into a plot hole. He's probably there with Prince Thomas of Once Upon a Time. Do <laughs> you mean, like, the entire cast of Once Upon a Time, except for the main six? I know, but it's just like, where was Odin? Did he get killed? Was he in a convenient Odin sleep? Anthony Hopkins had an interview and eventually, like, everybody was just like, Odin's dead! But he was like, and but he responded with, I'm not sure. He hasn't physically died on screen, but I played him as a man who's on his way out. 
I think they would have to explain in Thor 3, if there is one, what happened to Odin. Or, or maybe it would just be a storyline. Maybe he went to Tahiti or something for a holiday. I don't know. <laughs> I thought you would like that line. But, like, even Anthony Hopkins, who the guy who plays Odin, had no idea where Odin was. The thing about uh, comic book and comic book movie rules, if you don't see the body, they're not dead. Yeah, that's a You can't clear. say that they're dead. Maybe he's just locked up somewhere, or he's in a convenient Odin sleep, as I said. I think it's a few. there's a few explanations of what this could be. Number one, I think he's completely in mourning over Freya. That would make complete sense, because he just lost his wife, and he really hasn't had the time. Like, the day before to... he lost his wife. Right. And they, they truly do love each other. If they're following the comic book lore, but one there's several origin stories of how he met Freya, but my personal favorite is he, like, picked her out of a group of servant girls because she was like the most beautiful and he just fell for her and Aww. like made her queen like that's my favorite of all the origins that's one explanation i've seen is he he is away mourning another one is you know all the nine realms are probably just like jumped into chaos i could see him off trying to like kind of quell some of this with heimdall or something or just like with heimdall going what the fuck is going on <laughs> um, like why weren't there fighter jets from midgard <laughs> yeah I, you know uh his city just got invaded i could see him off doing king stuff like looking at like renovations would be incredibly boring if that's what it was <laughs> but uh, the biggest thing is is i going off this anthony hopkins thing they could be throwing us red herring like Anthony Hopkins might know exactly where Odin is, and he might not be allowed to spoil it, which happens all the time with actors. Like, he might know exactly what happened. He might know what it is in Thor 3. He might know what that is in the future. He's just not allowed to talk about it. But, like, this is the second time Loki has gotten onto the throne? The first time, though, he went to Odin's sleep, which is very common and happened a bajillion and twelve times in the comics. This time, though, he was just flat out not there without an explanation. I think there's something that's playing in a bigger thing here of why. And, but that's why it's a plot hole, though, because he's like the Allfather. He knows and see. like, I'm like, he's very close to Heimdall and that he, like, knows so much. Like, I don't see how he right. didn't know that Loki was doing this. Not only that, but in Norse mythology, Odin has two ravens, thought and knowledge, I think. Yeah, I forget their actual names. And I, I was happy to see the ravens, like like see him petting his pet ravens in this. Yeah, so he has like these ravens who tell him what's going on in the world. I could see like Loki just being like, mm, ravens too." <laughs> Delicious. Oh my! Oh my gosh! That was the biggest like pet peeve plot hole to me was where the hell was loaded was Loden <laughs> Odin in all this like. My two big, I think he was either mourning or it's something bigger that he, like, Anthony Hopkins cannot talk about yet. Both of which either. I would take as acceptable answers. But if he's off looking at the city that just got destroyed and he just, like, didn't really realize, like, he was there, that's dumb. One thing I've noticed about Marvel is that it has the annoying tendency of mentioning or doing things and not having an explanation. And then you find it out, like, three movies later. Except for Budapest. We still don't know what happened there. Or Tahiti. Or Tahiti, but we're finding out next time. Oh, is that next week's episode? Wait, no, it's uh, January 7th. What is she going on winter hiatus? They go on winter hiatus this week or next week? A hiatus started this past week. Okay. Because we have to wait till January 7th. Okay, I was wondering about that. Because I knew. uh, But apparently, we're going to be finding out about Tahiti soon. 
I hope so. That's true. They don't really explain places. Now, granted, probably Budapest was just like a normal, like, run-of-the-mill mission sort of thing. Those had, like, different stakes to it. But everybody wants to know what happened to Budapest. Though I also just want a Black a Black Widow and Hawkeye movie. Still want it. Maybe it had something to do with Winter Soldier. Uh, well, we already know that Scarlett Johansson's in Winter Soldier. Actually, let's go ahead and move on. That's the... Actually, no. We'll, we'll hold Winter, all Winter Soldier thoughts. <laughs> I have one more point, and then we can check, jump to the future stuff coming up. An Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. We just recently had a crossover episode called The Well. In this episode, and I'm about to give a spoiler for this episode. So if you haven't seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., or you don't want to be spoiled, or you want to like cover your ears or something, it's the episode called The Well. Either skip ahead or like cover your ears for like, I don't know, five minutes or something. In The Well, we found out that there was an Asgardian Earth. It was a crossover episode with Thor 2. Uh, it opens with them cleaning up London and Greenwich at the library. During the course of all that, they find this rogue Asgardian on Earth. I pose the question, do you think that there's other Asgardians hiding out on Earth then? I think it's completely possible because i mean where else would they get their mythology i don't think it's just one person telling these stories to other people like in order to have the vast amount of information that you have in mythology it can't just be one person right now in the original comics uh fandrel is the one who started the robin hood myth he was robin hood and he actually married maid marion he still even says today, like, that is the only woman, like, he ever truly, really loved. And that doesn't really surprise me. We we do have instances in the comics where the Asgardians have come to Earth and, like, lived on Earth for a while. But this guy's been hiding out for, like, a thousand years. And I, what I actually liked about this episode is he didn't actually look like an Asgardian. He didn't look like Chris Hemsworth. Uh, the guy who plays the um, Asgardian? Yeah. Peter McNichol, and he's been in, like, some other movies, like Alan McField, Numbers, Bean, Battleship, Batman Origins. He's, he does a lot of voice work, Necessary Roughness. That's where I, I've seen a lot of him, because my sister watches that show. He was also in Young Justice as Professor Ivo. But he doesn't look like a normal Asgardian. He doesn't look like Chris Hemsworth. He doesn't look like Tom Hiddleston. He's not big and bulky. He, he actually kind of looks like a little bookworm nerd. And, you know, to me, I kind of like seeing that side of Asgard. One of the best lines he had, he was like, I don't know, Thor. I was a stonemason. I worked on rocks for thousands of years. And when I kind of like that idea of, like, this is, like, the other guy and the other side of Asgard that we don't see. Like, the, right, like the common people. The common people. Yeah. Not just and, the princes. Um, I don't think I've told you this, but, like, I've been, like, writing this kind of comic book script playing with the idea of servants of, you know, Thor. Like, the, the servant side of Asgard and, like, you know, Thor's personal servant and Loki's personal servant and Fandral's post and, like, all their, like, little personal servants. And, like, their world in relation to that and, like, how it's, like, this completely different world and society. And that's something I've been writing. So, like, I took a lot of interest in this episode and seeing, like, this kind of other side, common folk side of Asgard. Not only that, but we also see the aftermath of everything that 
Thor and Loki and all of them do, like, when they bring their problems to Earth. Like, Coulson, at the very beginning, he's like, you know, Thor never sticks around after these things. He kind of just seems, like, absolutely done with Asgardian. I thought he's done. Dude, Asgardian got him, like, almost killed. I'd be done with Asgard. <laughs> I know. Like, that's what I was going to say. Like, first there was New Mexico, and they had to deal with that. And then Loki stabs Coulson and he dies briefly and then there's the whole New York thing I think they're just done with having to clean up Asgardian messes because they've caused like the biggest messes in all of Marvel's cinematic universe Thor's back with Jane in like London and they're making out at the end and Coulson just like kicks in the door grabs Thor by the ear and starts dragging his ass out going you gotta come clean up your shit man <laughs> son of Cole, you are alive <laughs> Thor finds out first <laughs> actually well it's a trivia note Natalie Portman had uh, scheduling conflicts with filming that last scene where Thor kisses Jane on that very last scene so that actually yeah. is Chris Hemsworth's wife he's kissing Oh, that's really and we just now need a comic of Coulson kicking in a door and dragging Thor off by his ear to clean up his mess. Oh, I think Coulson could do it. <laughs> I think he could flat out, like, drag Thor, like, know the exact place to immobilize him. Like, maybe it's not his ear. Like, maybe, like, stick his fingers up Thor's nostrils and, like, drag him. <laughs> and, like, the whole time Thor's just like, Ow! 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 Coulson! Son of Cole! And... <laughs> While we're on Agents of Shield, before we jump to the next point, do you think we're gonna see any like main character crossovers into the show? Like, well, I see I main characters like Avengers, like like maybe like Natasha or Clint, or I, I think Natasha I, and Clint are the best prospects. I don't know because I was not expecting Nick Fury to show up, that like was Samuel L. Jackson showing up, and, and, and we have had um Kobe. What's her name? Kobe. Colby Smulders yeah. plays Maria Hill. Thank you. I couldn't remember Maria Hill, but I could remember Colby. And we also had Agent Sitwell. Oh, yeah. I forgot too. about him. So, oh, he's not, like, like incredibly big. Like, I'm wondering if we're going to be getting, like, a Robert Downey Jr. cameo or something. That would be great. Like, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. has recently been doing a lot he, like, did his film, The Judge, and then he's been doing HTC commercials. That? You haven't seen the HTC commercials? No. You yeah, that he's been doing... That silence? <laughs> yeah, he's been doing, like, a whole bunch of commercials. I might have seen them. I have been more excited about the fact that I recently found out that... But Gil McKinney, who plays Prince Eric once upon a time, was in a progressive commercial, and I didn't realize it was him. And I met him. It's always great when you see regular actors that you love. He was in the progressive commercial where it has like the rain pouring down and like they're like setting it up like a romance thing. He's like, I needed oh, you yeah. this entire time. Yeah, that's Prince Eric. Oh, really? Hmm. But yeah, okay. I'm ready to see some other cameos. I kind of want to see Clint only because of the fact that he had such a small amount and a small role in Avengers. I would love to see Clint in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And not only that, but he is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Yeah, like he is. That's a very good point. (laughs) Like, him and Natasha would make the most sense. Who do you think has higher clearance, Uh, uh, Natasha or Clint? This is way off topic, but... I don't know. I think probably Natasha right now, especially after what happened with Clint in Avengers. 
you know, that's a very good point. I wonder if Clint maybe lost a few of his ranks. But not only that, Natasha apparently has had really high scores. Like Scores in um, what? Scores in adeptness and skills. I would say Clint has that too. They, they have different skill sets. Like, I, I think if you put a bow in Natasha's hand, she's like, no, never close. Right, that's true, but... Um, and Clint they can, do make can that... fight with a sword, because he was Ronin for a while. Right, but they did make that comparison uh, between Ward and Natasha in the first episode. Oh, I remember that, yeah. Not only that, but maybe Natasha's been around long... No, Clint has been around longer, because Clint was the one who brought Natasha in. But again, there was that whole debacle in Avengers, so Clint probably lost them. I would say also Clint over Natasha, because if the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. timeline is running parallel to the cinematic timeline, and Winter Soldier is supposedly going to be taking place around the same time, or maybe a little bit afterwards, then Natasha is definitely wrapped up in all that noise, and so I could see Clint, out of the two of them, having a better chance, strictly based on Natasha being wrapped up in the, the Winter Soldier storyline. Right, but not only that, but Steve and Natasha are up on the helicarrier at some points, it seems. So it may be possible that they, like, show up as a brief cameo. I don't know, Fitz and Simmons are busy in the lab, and Steve and Natasha come in because they have to get something to fight the Winter Soldier or whatever is going on. You know, I can't see them going to Coulson for that one, though, because Coulson has his own plane. He's not actually on the helicarrier. Right, true. So I, I don't see them going to Coulson on that one. While I could see... Oh, I could see Clint going to Fitz and Simmons to help see if they can clear out the rest of the Asgardian in his head. Like him having, like, side effects. And, like, she'll, he knows that he doesn't really want to go to Shield on this one because they would probably, like, run tests and stuff. Like, he just wants to get it out of him. So the three people who have the most likely chance of showing up because of their things with S.H.I.E.L.D. are right now Clint, who has the highest chance, and then Natasha, and then Steve, because Steve is working with S.H.I.E.L.D. right now. Clint also has that background in the first Thor movie with... Because Coulson is his handler, I think. So like that that term. I would be, like, if it was me, I would be pissed if people told me that my handler was dead, but then he's alive, actually. And what do you mean I don't have the clearance? I don't know. We'll have to see. So, any closing thoughts on Thor 2 before we jump into, like, the future films? Not that I can think of, just that it was a pretty good movie and that I kind of wanted to see it again. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I will say I wish I got to see it before one more time before we have this podcast, because honestly, I haven't seen it in a month. <laughs> I kind of feel like now I don't know what I'm talking about because I haven't seen it in so long. I'm like... Feel free to email me at hope at com and let me know if we, you have any corrections for us and I'll read them in my next episode or whatnot. Or like the... When I get a chance to. I might do a feedback episode if I get Seriously. enough, which will be zero because I never get emails. <laughs> Seriously, we're sorry, but again... We tried! We haven't, Gold Star. we haven't seen it in a month. I'm not exactly the best when it comes to Thor. But you're best at this next movie! <laughs> Frickin' Winter Soldier. Oh my god, because now we have a trailer. We didn't have a trailer when we did the Iron Man 3 episode. So, I want to talk about this being the next one, a little bit about Winter Soldier, only because I'm freaking out. I know, oh my <laughs> gosh. Out of all the movies, Captain America was my favorite in Phase 1. 
So I am so excited for um, this latest movie because I love Steve. I love Bucky. And, and I'm just kind of... So am I, don't worry. I think I'm probably like blushing head to toe. Oh my god, me too. But we're blushing for two totally different guys. Actually, I'm gushing for both, sort of. <laughs> I'm all Sebastian Stan. But like, okay, let's let's talk about this and from a non-fangirly point of view. Because now we have trailer. I gotta say some of the highlights of this trailer, for one, is seeing Captain Rogers back. Yay! I'm happy to see Cap- him taking that role again. I'm happy to see him still questioning S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm happy to see Natasha. I'm happy to see Mother Frickin' Falcon, because I am I love Falcon. I, I think he's fantastic. Um, And, the, like, the cream on the cake is I just love Bucky, and having that little teaser at the end of the first trailer of him catching Steve's S.H.I.E.L.D. was just an awesome moment. Like, they, they play that trailer on the TV at the Hot Topic I work at, and every time it comes on, I will stop and watch that in like three seconds <laughs> there is like so much badassery in the trailer so far like between chris uh, between captain america natasha falcon and winter soldier this is just going to be an amazing movie i think i'm i'm stupid excited for this movie like i never saw the first captain america until in, in theaters i saw it when it was on dvd i actually saw it after yeah. the avengers so like the avengers was my first real exposure to Chris Evans' uh, version of Captain America, um, which was which was great, and so I went back and watched it, and I just fell in love with. But I realized that Sebastian Stan was, and I just fell in love with it. I this is the one I'm very much excited for, and we recently got the extended trailer, which has the first shot of Bucky without the mask on, with his. I know. Oh my goodness. In a lot of interviews that I've seen for this movie, um, he's mentioned, like, let's talk about Captain America, for instance, that Cap, he has to now deal with morally gray areas, which, you know, in the first movie, it's very much black and white, like Nazis are bad, Red Skull is bad, but here he has to deal with, oh God, my best friend is now the enemy, what do I do? And then, as you said, he's questioning S.H.I.E.L.D. and, like, I mean, he kind of has a right to because when he was first introduced to S.H.I.E.L.D. in the first movie, they tried to trick him. Like, they tried to make him think that he was waking up in the 40s. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I was like, I was Which thinking, is... like, 1940s, and I was like, Howard Stark with S.H.I.E.L.D.? I don't think they were pretty sure they were friends. Okay, I know what you're talking about, yes. When he wakes up, they, they try to... Now, they were, I, I think they were trying to give him a gentle awakening but see that if you kind of know steve's character he just went down in a plane so he kind of expected to be well dead yeah <laughs> and then he wakes up and he's hearing a like he just got out of a war so he's not really expecting something like this and not only that but they're playing a a baseball, baseball game, game that he had been to. That he went to, so... Yeah, I, I would say it was tricking him, and I, I honestly, I don't think that they knew that he had been to that baseball game. Like, but I, I the think they were trying to give him an easy awakening to then, like, ease him into, like, hey, you know, it's not 1940, we won the war. Like, I could see them, like... I never saw that as flat-out tricking, because, like, Fury was flat-out talking, like, hey, the world's different, we were trying to, be like, do this gently, but you ran out in the middle of Times Square. <laughs> Like, I do agree that their intentions were good, but just the way they went about them. I would say he would be more questioning from the Avengers when he was finding all the Hydra weapons. Right. That would be the one that I I could see him having a red flag in questioning S.H.I.E.L.D. I think it's kind of a bit of 
both, like, not so much with the first example that I gave, because even though that was, like, an introduction, he probably understands why, like, later on. I just want to point but out just... that has one of their locations in Times Square. <laughs> anyway, we're moving on. But yes, I'm also incredibly excited to see Falcon. Like, that's awesome. This is, I, I, I enjoyed Sam. I hope he's a, still a little bit of the fanboy that he is in Avengers Assemble. I know, oh my goodness. He is an amazing character. I am very excited to see how they do Sam. Do you think he's going to be a big character or more of a minor supporting character? Because it seems like Black Widow is being presented as right alongside Captain America. I think he's more of like a supporting character. Kind of like the Happy Hogan character. Sort of, like apparently in this he's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent as well. So kind of like starting off with Avengers Assemble when Sam was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. I don't know what they're going to do with him. I wonder no. if they'll present Falcon as, because um, we were saying that like Steve's going to be questioning S.H.I.E.L.D. probably a lot. I could see Falcon being like the very good, like studious soldier guy, like totally supporting S.H.I.E.L.D. Kind of like what Cap used to be. In the first movie he was all like, I support the USA, rah, rah, rah. I could see the serum taking on that role for S.H.I.E.L.D. and Cap helps him see that it's not quite what it is. That would be an interesting take. I can see that too. And- I'm excited for Winter Soldier. I I want to know how it ends. I want to know if they're going to be keeping Bucky on for the long run and taking him to Avengers. That would definitely be interesting because then all of like the fan fictions will, all the fan fiction writers will be happy. I just know what I care about. Because I think if they keep Bucky on, they're going to be definitely driving a little bit faster to possibly Civil War. Because Cap gets shot at, like, post-Civil War, and Bucky takes on the Cap mantle. Right, that's true. And not only that, but in this movie, we're also introducing um, Sharon Carter, or Agent 13. And in the comics for Civil War, if I remember this correctly, Sharon is the one who gets brainwashed or controlled, and she's the one who shoots Steve, technically. Yeah, that's a good point. I forgot about that. The the last point I want to introduce, uh, talk about uh, for Winter Soldier is, um, do you think that they'll be doing the Natasha-Bucky romance that they have in the comic, or completely leave that out? Um, because they have their pictures of Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans kissing in character, like their characters are kissing. I don't know, because in one interview at Comic-Con, Chris and uh, Scarlett were joking that they had just gotten bored and decided to throw people off. <laughs> <laughs> because they're actually, like, best friends in real life. But then there's also, like, the idea of what if this is just for an undercover thing because they look undercover. Yeah, because they're definitely not wearing... They're, they're wearing uh, civvies, so... Another thing could be, like, a comforting thing. Like, hey, you just found out that your best friend isn't dead and trying to kill you. Yeah, I feel like that'd be more of a hug, though. I can't see... Because the thing is, like, Black Widow is, like, not the most emotional lady, so I can't see her just being like, oh, your best friend is trying to kill you. Let's make out. That's one of the series that I don't really support. I've just seen it out there. I would say, if anything, it's the first two choices. Either they're undercover or they were throwing everybody off. Right, which would make sense. Now, going back to the original question, do you think they'll take the time to do the Natasha-Bucky romance from the comics? It's kind of hard not to, since Bucky, Winter Soldier, in this case, and Natasha had, like, this really big backstory back during the, when, like, back during the Red Room and the KGB and stuff like that. Like, 
Uh, when I just called... thought of something. What? Remember in Avengers when Loki is like listing off all the things, like terrible things Natasha has done, like the church yeah. and the kids and stuff like that. What if those are all mission Bucky helped her on it, and we're gonna get that backstory? That would be <gasps> really interesting. <laughs> oh, I would love that. Watch us be terribly wrong because we almost always are. But on our Iron Man three uh, podcast, we were talking about how this one's gonna be taking place during Christmas. Um, Maybe that would be the only reason why that the other Avengers wouldn't come and help Tony because they were taking care of their stuff, their own stuff, and all three of these. So we were wrong. Anyway, you were saying. Anyway, I was just also looking at the other antagonists that might show up. Like they're antagonists in the comics, so they're probably antagonists here. But we also have Crossbones, who is a Shield operative. Is that um, the like... old guy in the trailer that's talking to? Sh- uh, to Steve. Uh, no. The Crossbones guy is the one in the elevator. Okay. The older guy is probably Alexander Pierce, who is who is supposed to be a senior leader with S.H.I.E.L.D., a member of World Security Council, and an old comrade of Nick Fury. Okay. We have, apparently, Crossbones. We have Batrock. <laughs> I just, like, covered my face. That is a terrible name. Yeah, and then we also have, as I said, Winter Soldier. These sound like they're gonna be, like, little lackeys of Bucky's. Oh, and apparently uh, there's going to be reprises of roles. So there's going to be Arnim Zola. Really? Jas- yeah. Uh, Jasper Sitwell. Howard Stark, like Dominic Cooper's Howard Stark. What? And Senator Stern. What? Oh my the- gosh. I'm excited about Howard. Like, that's the one I'm most excited about. I, I bet they're going to be doing, like, flashbacks with that one. Ooh, with the Agent Carter series coming up soon, because they're, they're talking about doing a TV series spinoff for Peggy, do you yes. think that there's going to uh, be some nod to some of that, or maybe we're going to see a little bit of Peggy, like, maybe in a flashback? I'm looking at the wiki right now, and apparently Haley Atwell is going to show up as Peggy Carter in this movie. Oh. I bet it's a flashback. No, but, like, they've had uh, pictures. I've seen this on Tumblr. But she has, like, white hair, apparently. Oh, no! I'm gonna cry! I'm gonna cry forever! Because what it says on here is a retired officer with the strategic scientific reserve and former love interest of Captain America. Oh, no! I'm gonna cry! (laughs) Out of all the canon OTPs and ships in... Marvel Cinematic Universe, the one between Steve and Peggy has to be the saddest. But, oh my god, I'm just so excited. Like, I, while Thor was my favorite in Phase 1, I think Winter Soldier is going to be my favorite in Phase 2. Like, I can flat out feel like, like when they were doing the announcement of Phase 2 and naming all the movies for Phase 2, it was the one that I, like, literally screamed at. I just went, Winter Soldier! Like, at that Comic-Con announcement, like, two years ago. As I said, Captain America, the first Avenger, was my favorite in the first phase. And I really think that this is going to be my favorite in the second phase. Not just because of the actors, but also because of the characters and the plot lines and, like, the theme, I guess. Though, Guardians of the Galaxy, like, you and I know so little about that one. That might still be, like, one that's going to take us by surprise. I'm, I'm still not ruling that one out as possibly being my favorite. And that is flat out because I know nothing about it. That's true. And also, half the reason why I'm happy about Winter Soldier is, well, there's a couple of things, but one is very superficial and shallow, but 
Commander suit. Um, I'm flat out excited just to see Sebastian Stan's beautiful face. Like, totally shallow. Going for the shallow. Like, I just want to, like... After seeing him in Picnic, like, the Broadway show he did with his, like, yeah. abs that you could wash clothes on, like, uh-huh. ugh. <laughs> I, I just want to see Sebastian Stan. That's so shallow of me. You know me. I'm also kind of a Steve Bucky shipper. Yeah. But there's some too. rumors going around. I don't know where I saw them. Like, I'll have to go and find them later. But I think I saw this one rumor where... Steve, he breaks into the Smithsonian to steal his old wo- World War II uniform, like the Captain America First Avenger uniform, so he can bring Bucky's memories back. <laughs> so he's going to go steal his short shorts back? No, I think it's the actual, like, military, the one that Howard made oh, for him. I love the short short outfit. Oh. I know, the short short outfit is fun. Oh my fun. god, who wears short shorts? Steve wears short shorts. If you don't know what we're talking about, people, in the Star Spangled Man with a Plan song, just Google that, like, look it up on YouTube, and look at Steve's costumes. His costume on the bottom half is short shorts with leggings underneath. Like, <laughs> like go look it up. He, it's fantastic. He even has that line in the first movie where he's like, I thought that I was going to be a great hero, but here I am wearing tights. Anything else about Winter Soldier other than we're just, like, rolling around in excitement and every time I see a trailer and I'm gonna die a little bit inside? Basically, April cannot come fast enough. I just have a terrible thought. Why? I hope Winter Soldier is not out the same weekend of 221 Beacon, because I will cry. No, I would go see Winter Soldier. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go to the con, I'll, like, leave the con for a few hours and go see Winter Soldier. Priorities priorities like seriously i have a calendar countdown on my phone for this movie all right so at the very last point i just want to point out is the possible future of thor in the franchise i know this is kind of backtracking i'm going to read straight from the wikipedia uh, article when promoting the release of thor the dark world in october 2013 hemsworth stated that he is contracted for another thor film and two more avengers films so that means we're going to avengers thor 4 Uh, but would be happy to keep going if people would want more. Also in October 2013, Faye started that Thor would be going... Oh, sorry, I lost my spot. Uh, Would be seen in Avengers Age of Ultron. He added that the certain elements at the end of the Dark World hint at the, the direction for the possible third film, adding, we are definitely have a story that we'd like to tell. Additionally, Finch, uh, Finch, whatever you, however you say his name, said that... What? I think it's Feige. Feige? Yeah. How do you get that? I don't know. But, okay, additionally, Feige <laughs> stated that Loki, Loki would not appeal, appear in Age of Ultron and would most likely not before a third Thor film. The studio certainly has ideas where we would like to go with him, but we'll have to see uh, this how this one does and then go from there. Yay that we've been confirmed for Elias Avengers 4. We're going to get at least another Thor film. Sad face about Loki, but honestly, they need to probably explore other villains, even though he is the strongest villain in the cinematic universe as of right now. We've been spoiled too much by Loki. We need someone else. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, like, it would also bring in other Avengers, like with Hank. Uh, we'll get Hank with Ultron. We're going to probably get Thanos with Guardians of the Galaxy. So we're going to get to see some of these other big bats. And that's the thing with Ultron. Canonly, Ultron is 
really scares Tony. He is, yeah. like, one of the main villains that scares Tony so much. Oh, I can understand that. Like, imagine, like, his suit suddenly coming to life and taking, like, having, like, a mind of its own. Oh, wait, that and was Avengers 3. Or, uh, yeah, 3. But that happens, I think, in at least the cartoons that I've seen so far. Now, Ultron's also scary because in the comics, it's, like, the one villain they cannot kill. Ultron still bothers the fuck out of him. Like, they'll get rid of him for, like, a year or two, and then he'll come back. Because it's, like, that one villain that, for somehow, he always has a loophole that they have yet to defeat. What he is is basically electronic. So, like, he's an artificial intelligence, so he probably has, like, backups of his... And we see that in Earth's Mightiest Heroes, but I I wonder... Why Ultron when they've introduced Thanos? I, that's the only thing I've been kind of curious on. That, I'm excited to see where they'll go with the rest of the franchise, but that's the big one that I've been curious about is why why Ultron over Thanos? Because that one kind of came out of left field when they were announcing um, the title for Avengers two. I was expecting it to be like Dave Thanos or or something. But when I saw Age of Ultron, I had a moment of just going, "Oh my god, Ultron!" And then I had a moment of going, "But why?" <laughs> Why him? Speaking of speaking of Age of Ultron, um, there's the trailer, like the teaser trailer thing, where they take Iron Man's helmet and turn it into the Ultron head. Ooh, that is a good teaser. Which just it gives me such chills because I'm like, oh my god, what is going to happen? Oh, Tony. It, but then this is a side note. Um, it made me think about this, but because uh, we've been in this kind of weird time where a lot of the actors are resigning and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So I know Robert Downey Jr. has recently just now renegotiated his contract. Like, he didn't, mm-hmm. like, Iron Man 3 was, like, his last one until he renegotiated, right? Right. And same thing with Tom yeah. Hiddleston. That's actually why I was thinking that they might actually possibly kill Loki in this one. Because he hadn't rene- renegotiated his contract yet for later films by the time, right. like, um, until, like, a month before the movie came out. Oh, did you see that interview where Tom Hiddleston started crying because someone mentioned that this was probably his last time on the red carpet for a Marvel movie? He's a goddamn angel. <laughs> he is. Oh my god, I love that man. He needs to be my future husband right now. He really cried? Like, he started tearing up Oh my or god, something. Hiddles! <laughs> Why is he so perfect? Anyway, so... Basically, I'm just curious what other story they want to tell with Thor. There's a lot of stuff in the Thor realm that they could play with. They could play with Suter. They uh-huh. could play with just about anything in the Nine Realms. They could bring in Beta Ray Bill, which I would actually love. Oh, Beta Ray Bill. Oh, Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> they could play with Thanos and Thor. Like they, I. What if they held off Thanos until Thor 3? That would be really interesting. That That is a clear possibility. Uh, though now that Thor is on Earth, it could be... They they could play with Thor, you know, with Earth stuff going on. Like, they, there's a lot of stuff that they could play with with Thor. Um, I wonder if they'll ever introduce Enchantress. <gasps> oh, that's a good one. I would love to see Enchantress. I, I Actually, I don't think we've had a girl main villain yet, so I would actually really go for Enchantress. No, we haven't. Like, I think the only... Like, we've had lackeys uh, that are women, but we haven't had, like, a flat-out, like, I am the main villain of this show. Right. Oh my god, I want to see Hela! Ooh, that'd be so good. That would be so interesting. Like, they could do so much. 
uh, with some of these characters. And, like, I mean, it's only now, like, with Avengers 2 that they're introducing um, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. I forgot about that. That's a really good point. I actually want to bring that uh, bring back in then the possibility of us uh, of us seeing the Sony Marvel coming into Disney Marvel. We need just basically Marvel to buy back the right to X Men and Spider Man because one thing that bugs me for the Marvel Cinematic Universe this has come up in Agents of Shield with oh there's no such thing as psychic powers and stuff like that. How do you explain the X-Men? Spider-Man plays such a huge role in at least the Avengers comics. You guys kind of need to negotiate, maybe have a collab. I would actually really enjoy seeing that more. (sighs) You know, I'm just looking through like a list of uh, Thor villains. The only ones that really do jump out at me that I could flat out be like, yes, yes, this will be, could be a possible for Thor 3, which is pretty much... Hela, Amora, the Enchantress, and Thanos. Like, those are the three... And Galactus, that's the other one. Galactus is the other Yeah, Galactus. Uh, but even then, Galactus is more of an everybody villain. Uh, he's not specifically a Thor villain. But they recently fought Galactus in the recent comics um, within the last couple years. Like, Galactus was uh, coming to destroy Asgard. And Thor had a throwdown with the Silver Surfer. So, um, right. so he could be there. But honestly, out of all of them, I would like to see Amora and Hela because I didn't actually really realize that we hadn't had any girl characters. Though, hold on. We had a post, uh, we recently had Fear Itself um, in the comics. And it's really, there's a big thing that's based around Fear Itself um, of like what Odin fears most. And it's what all the gods fear most, and it was a it was um, a Marvel wide storyline that went into all all the stories. And in Fear itself, Red Skull's daughter finds like the hammer. Oh God, it's been a while since I've read Fear itself. It's it's like an alternate hammer that belonged to Odin's brother. I think it was like banished brother, and it turned oh, her into an Asgardian. So that you have Asgardian Red Skull daughter. Um, oh god! And she summons. Oh god, what was it? She summons. It wasn't the serpent, or maybe it was the serpent. She summons something, and it makes like all these weapons, and it chooses several masters. Like Hulk becomes brainwashed as Guardian Evil Hulk. Ben Grimm co- becomes like as Guardian Evil Thing. A lot of the main villains get their hands on these weapons too. And so it ends up being, like, a story-wide thing. So I could see them taking on a Fear Itself storyline for Thor um, and then setting it up, like, with Captain America with Red Skull's daughter. That would be pretty damn cool. I can see that because I just looked it up when you were trying to explain this, and her name is Sin? Yeah. Apparently? Yeah. Um, Fear Itself was good. It wasn't the one that, like, stuck with me, though, very... And then you could bring in Bucky Barnes as well, because, let's see, they explain, after taking the Black Widow and Sam Wilson hostage, Sin sent one of her henchmen to disrupt the trial of Captain America and send a demand, Bucky Barnes. And she, like, almost kills Bucky and stuff like that. Dude, they they tricked me on this one. <laughs> Sorry, like, spoilers for Fear Itself, but they, yeah. like, flat out tricked me on this one, because Bucky took, like, a death blow. Oh, God. Yeah, like a hardcore oh. death blow. And the only, they kept him undercover. Like, all the Avengers thought Bucky had died. 
and only Fury and Black Widow knew that he was still alive. Also, for fans, I think that this would be a good idea because we could see Captain America wield Mjolnir. Yes, and the serpent would be the only... Uh, the serpent, he was the serpent. It's uh, Odin's brother, his name's the serpent. I would like to see... I wouldn't mind seeing Fear itself, only because um, I would like a lot of things, but it, it wasn't a very well-received storyline. Um, but coming going into Thor 3, I think it'd be a stronger storyline, depend, depending on how, for one, where Thor 3 falls. Um, is it going to be in Phase 3? Is it going to be in Phase 4? If there is a Phase 4, like, depending on where that movie falls, and depending on the movie is leading up to Thor 3, of whether or not this works. Right. So. Like, they have so much to work with that, you know, there's never going to be in stuff that they can work with. Yep. Well, I don't have anything else in my notes. Do you have anything else for me? Not really, unless you want to briefly talk about the upcoming Marvel thing with Netflix. That's well, why I don't even know what you're talking about, though. Inform me. Okay, so Disney's Marvel and Netflix join forces to develop historic four-series epic plus a mini-series event. What? <laughs> yep, and they are... Focusing on Daredevil, followed by Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, and then Luke Cage. Oh, I did hear about this. Yeah, because I got excited about Jessica Jones and Luke Cage because I absolutely adore them. And then they're also going to be doing uh, the Defenders miniseries. Oh, yeah, I did hear about that. That is exciting. Um, Yeah. Because I I have a love for Luke Cage and Jessica Jones. Like, I adore them. I adore their relationship. I love their daughter. I love the fact that Squirrel Girl is their freaking nanny. (laughs) That is the safest baby in the entire world. Squirrel Girl can take down... Every major villain in this universe. She is undefeated. Yeah. So, that's a protected baby right there. Yeah. Though I have to... Uh, the one day that their baby got kidnapped, Squirrel Girl was not there. Like, she, the baby got kidnapped, like, from the mother. Like, from Jessica Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. I can just see just Doreen just being like, you should have called me. I I was free. I was sitting in Central Park with my squirrels. <laughs> Doreen is fucking awesome. I hate when people, like, bash on Squirrel Girl. But she is undefeated. You have to go with that. She has, like, the very, track record to back it up. Very true. Like, at first you heard the idea of Squirrel Girl. I, she protects Central Park. Yeah. And then you find out, like, oh, yeah, by the way, she defeated Victor Von Doom, Thanos. She could probably take on Galactus herself if she really wanted to. The Watcher to. even confirmed that it was the real Thanos. She took out Wolverine a couple times. Like, Wolverine fears her. <laughs> And the only time that a baby was kidnapped was from the actual mother, not her. Yeah. The, um, I gotta, I, she actually left the Lake Michigan Avengers because they would just let her go in on her own and beat all the bad guys. And, like, she was holding them back because they would just let her do all the fighting and they would just watch. So, anyway, that's all I really have to talk about. (laughs) Cool. Well, Angel, where can people find you? You guys can find me on Tumblr at not dash that kind of no <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> okay how about this you, you can find her at not that kind of doctor there's some dashes um that tumblr.com and i will put the link in the show notes but that's pretty much where you can find me or you can find me on twitter at that sassy archangel all right um i don't have anything else as always you can find me at geekygirlexperience.tumblr.com 
Um, if that's not apparent, I love Once Upon a Time, so you can find my Once Upon a Time blog at onceuponanobsession.tumblr.com. As always, you can find me at Hope Molinax on Twitter. I spend a lot of time there. <laughs> also, if you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the shows. It helps our ratings. It helps. I just want to know what you guys think about us. Also, if you have feedback for the show, you can definitely find us. Send me feedback at hope at two true freaks dot com. It's at the bottom of the show notes. Uh, I should know this. Uh, all right. Well, um, thank you, Angel, for taking time to chat our favorite topic, which is Marvel. Thank you for having me. I would love to have you back when Avengers Assembles wrap and do an Avengers Assemble special and take a look at the first season and what we think about it. I would love to. I just need to catch up. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. I have so many TV shows to catch up on as well. One being Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Thank you. You want to say bye to everybody? For having me. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Come back and see us. Y'all coming back now. You hear? <laughs> I just got really southern. Hey, you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Something I wanted to add in at the end of this show was Angel and I were talking before we started recording, and we were talking about the new episode of Adventures Assemble, and it was actually a really good chat that we had right fast, and it just, you know, it didn't really quite fit in anywhere, so I thought I would just go ahead and put it here. Just FYI, it does have spoilers for the new episode, Planet Doom, so I just should give you some, like, heads up and warnings about that, and yeah, thank you so much for listening. Did I miss an episode of Avengers Assemble again? I don't know if there was one this morning. I didn't even check. Apparently, no. Actually, I think they're done for this season. That can be for this season, because that was a dumbass cliffhanger then. Well, not cliffhanger, but dumbass, um... Well, I mean, they have the season finale uh, to be announced. The episode list, there's only, like, 15 on there so far. Okay, I'm, like, thoroughly confused because, like, apparently for Planet Doom, which came out last week, there's, like, Spider-Man Noir. Oh, it was so good. The Punisher. Mm Mm-hmm. Bruce Banner. Ultimate Hawkeye. So there's, like, two Hawkeyes or... You'll have to see it. It explains it. You'll have to see it. Okay, and then Ultimate Falcon, Odin, Heimdall, and Wolfstag. Ultimate is referring to their, like, comic versions of Ultimate. Oh, so, like, their costume or whatever. Yeah, it's, like, more of their comic storylines of... The whole thing is, is Thor's in an alternate time stream. Ah, okay, so Thor went to an alternate universe. Time stream. Time stream, then. That's kind of interesting. And the summary is... Thor comes back from Asgard, and Doom uh-huh. is taken over the planet because Doom went back in time and changed history. Oh, that's a common thing for Doom. And my favorite thing, though, well, actually, no, I don't want to spoil it in the episode. You know that I don't mind spoilers. There's a moment where Doom's like, I will do this again! And Thor, like, just right before he does it, Thor destroys the machine and goes, What? What then? I was like, really, Doom? Really? <laughs> Like, you can rebuild it. I was like, he was like, this is a dumb thing. I'm gonna quit. And I was just like, okay, dude. And Thor is just like, haha, I beat him. And it's cute because everyone's like fighting, and Thor is just like, I love you all. Great. And I was like, what the hell happened to Thor? <laughs> but yeah, I was happy to see Bruce finally. Finally. Bruce deserves love. He's not just the Hulk. <laughs> He's what makes the Hulk the Hulk. Is the side of the Hulk. And I will say something that Adventure Symbol has done really well is humanizing the Hulk by giving us a lot of Hulk-centric episodes so we can, like, see what it's like to be him. 
But at the same time, you have to see, like, how the Hulk affects Bruce Banner, because Bruce Banner is also in there, and he has to deal, like, with the consequences. Of... I know, like, how is he gonna, like, get laid with Tony or something? <laughs> Science bros! Science bros! Okay, we need to actually do this. The song at the end of the episode is Stabilo's Flawed Design, and I chose the song because it's, like, my my go-to Loki song. Whenever I, like, oh, man, I want to listen to a song about Loki, I always go to this song. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, my name is Hope Molinax. Thanks for listening. When I was a young boy, I was honest and I had more self-control. If I was tempted, I would run. Then when I got older, I began to lie to get exactly what I wanted when I wanted it. And I wanted it. Now I'm having trouble Yeah.